the king Dog, you ain't a hundred, this a hundred Let me demonstrate If she ain't got brains, then I ain't tryna penetrate And if you ain't a stand-up needy, you could get your dinner ate I ain't buying all that real shit Dog, you benefit To go on a dinner date Now we on the interstate Might be a rookie in the game, but I been a great And we about autonomy, dog, we ain't tryna integrate Trying to integrate was broke back then. Now the youngest seeing different kick. We don't go all feelings, we just make sure that the business straight. And if you ain't an intellect, then you can't get a penetrate. Local Niji, now I'm getting love all in different states. Gotta Niji, if you ain't got scars, then you can't relate. That was Aboriginal Wall Street by Ja Bricks off of his new album, Straight from the Bricks. Had to switch our intro up a little bit for this one, everybody. I'm sure you understand. Welcome to On The Wake Up Radio. I just want to say I'm a little extra geeked up today. I can't even uh, help it. You are now tuned in to the Sovereign Creed Show. We don't just discuss the problems. We offer the solutions. I'm your host, Jay Ali Shiyamaru. Shout out to our producer, Cindy Ashby, for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go sign up for www. OTW2.com so you can join our community of melanated aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship. For today's episode of the Sovereign Creed Show, we introduce to you tribal economics. We have gathered four brilliant, remarkable, and resourceful aboriginal gods who all have a vast array of knowledge and wisdom regarding the topics that we will discuss today. We will revisit the destruction of Black Wall Street. You will also learn about self-administered reparations, developing self-sufficient autonomous communities and entrepreneurship for Aboriginal Americans. In a recent interview conducted by the National Public Radio on Indigenous Peoples Day, formerly known as the day that those white supremacists celebrated the colonization of the Americas by commemorating some thug named Columbus, the morning edition crew discussed the following topic. Native American tribes are calling on Congress to swiftly pass the sweeping infrastructure bill. Tribal leaders expect it to include about $11 billion for Indian country, which they hope will begin to address historical inequities there. On this Indigenous Peoples Day, NPR's Kirk Sigler takes a closer look at what tribes want to do with the money. For Cherokee Nation Chief Chuck Hoskin, the infrastructure bill isn't just about helping Indian country. It's about modernizing rural areas in states like Oklahoma, long passed over by more influential cities. When tribes win in terms of these kinds of investments, rural America wins. The Cherokee Nation is one of northeast Oklahoma's largest employers with 11,000 workers, including some non-tribal members. And Hoskins says there are a number of road and bridge repair projects the tribe has identified for upgrades and people are ready to get to work. The Cherokee are also eager to add more electric buses to their fleet. In the reservation's more isolated communities, that's a vital link for tribal members to do everything from shopping to doctor's appointments. We need to grow in Indian country. We need our economies moving. If the United States wants to live up to its promise, this is a great way to do it. And really, Congress ought to get busy doing this. That promise Chief Hoskin is talking about is U.S. treaty obligations. The U.S. government pledged to deliver basic needs such as health care and education when they forced tribes onto reservations and took their ancestral lands. 
Hoskins says the government has never truly lived up to these treaties. People need to know that right now in Indian country, there are people that are suffering, that are doing without, that are living in situations that most Americans would say is not acceptable. They just don't know about it. The infrastructure bill in its current iteration would put about three and a half billion toward what tribes say has been the chronically underfunded Indian Health Service. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's comical how these $5 Indians maneuver. But I mean, hell, you got to respect it. In an article published on March 19, 2021, by the Cronkite News Arizona PBS, tribes in Oklahoma are both hopeful and anxious as they wait for the funds and spending rules for the American Rescue Plan that President Joe Biden signed last week. Native American tribes nationwide will receive more than $31 billion as part of the American Rescue Plan, the largest one-time investment to Native American communities in history. However, the amount of money said to be given to Oklahoma tribes on an individual basis is largely unknown and likely will be under further tribal consultation has occurred. Out of 31 billion tribes, they will receive Excuse me. Out of the 31 billion tribes they will receive, 20 billion will focus on combating COVID-19 and stabilizing safety nets in tribal communities. Additionally, 1 billion will be split evenly among the 574 federally recognized tribes, portioning about 1.7 million to each tribe, including the 38 federally recognized tribes in Oklahoma, said Libby Washburn, special assistant to Biden. The remaining 19 billion will be distributed to each tribe using an undisclosed formula developed by the U.S. Treasury. Another portion of that money is from housing and urban development, more on that word later, in which Oklahoma tribes will receive about 65 million under the Indian Housing Block Grant Program. Washburn said under a separate program from HUD, the Indian Community Developed Block Grant Program, there was a $280 million pot from which tribes nationwide can seek grants. Housing infrastructure has been an ongoing issue for many tribes in Oklahoma throughout the pandemic, they said. And Washburn expects Oklahoma tribes to take advantage of these programs. Y'all, I want y'all to keep this in perspective. We're talking about the same native Oklahoma tribes that as far back as 2016 paid the state of Oklahoma a record-breaking $132 million from casino-style tribal gaming exclusivity fees alone. They paid that. Of the $132 million paid out, nearly two-thirds were just paid to three tribes. Leading the way was the Chickasaw Nation, which paid the state nearly $40.69 million in fees, the Choctaw Nation, which paid about $22.4 million in fees, and the Cherokee Nation, which paid nearly $15.3 million in fees. We are talking about fees, not annual income, fees. These $5 Indians are left to y'all. Don't take my word for it. Check this out. Aborigine, which means what? Black folks. Right. You never find a white Aborigine. Aborigines are called natives, or they're always dark skinned people. You and I are 
be called an aborigine. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. It disappeared. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It didn't disappear. You might forget Martin Luther King was assassinated in April. The Poor People's Campaign was supposed to go to Washington in April. Mm -hmm. So the organization that mobilized it, was essentially decapitated and thrown into chaos about three weeks before it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, those organizations were being, as I said, once the Civil Rights Acts were completed, that was it. Mm -hmm. Government was through with us. They're not interested in restructuring. There has never been any interest in restructuring the economy for the benefit of the poor. I don't know where you're going to talk about the bonus army, go back to Shays' Rebellion. I mean, this is like the no-no. You know, this is a capitalist society. <laughs> it's built on inequality and avarice in many ways. The benefits that, that these that these blacks are going to be entitled to, a lot of whites went to the Dawes Commission and said, look, uh, why don't you put my name on there? And they said, but you're not an Indian. So that's what they said, well, I'll give you $5. So they, they, they ruled, they got around, the posse got around that, that for $5 that a white could put his name on the Dawes Rolls and be called himself an Indian and be entitled to all these benefits and all their children can be entitled to all these benefits forever. And so that's, that became known as what's called a $5 Indian. And so if you go around now and check most of the Indians, the so-called Indians in America, about 90% of them are not even Indians. Those are just whites now who are passing as Indians. And but they're getting all the benefits. And they're not paying any taxes, getting free college education. They put up a little reservation on the land that they don't live on. They have another home off uh, and get all kind of benefits. African-American community. Why not say then, this is for you? This is for African Americans. If, if there was a banking crisis, then you'd target money for the banks. If there was a national disaster, you'd target, uh, you'd target your money for the national for, uh, no, 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 for no, disaster that, relief. That, 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 that's, not how, uh, that's not how America works. We want to give those young people and young Native Americans like them the support they deserve. We have to invest in them and believe in them and love them. Why not target the African American community? Why not say then, this is for you, this is for African Americans? Uh, that's not how America works. President Barack Obama has begun new initiatives aimed at helping young American Indians or Native Americans overcome the many challenges they face, from poverty to substance abuse. Why not target the African American community? Why not say then, this is for you, this is for African Americans? Uh, that's not how America works. And few have been more marginalized and ignored by Washington for as long as Native Americans, our first Americans. Why not target? the African-American community. Why not say then, this is for you, this is for African-Americans? Uh, that's not how America works. 
this something that's only going to benefit black people? No. I support the United States' commitment to provide Israel with $38 billion in military assistance over the next decade. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people? No. I support full funding for Israel, including for the Arrow, David Sling, and the Iron Dome missile defense system. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people? No. I am fully committing to maintaining Israel's qualitative military edge. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people? No. When I am elected president, I'll take immediate action to, in, to immediately reinstate protection for DACA recipients. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people? No. Jewish Rosenwald said, by garnering and developing the leadership of the Negro, we will make ourselves useful to the other Anglophiles. You must understand that probably somebody chose cows, somebody chose pigs, somebody else chose niggas. And what leverage will you have with the big white man who had just cleaned out our original brothers who were here before he got here? R.I.P. Steve Coakley. Our first guest today on the Sovereign Creed Show was Mr. Terry Backus as the mayor of Greenwood, Oklahoma, home of the original Black Wall Street. His vast knowledge, the once thriving economic epicenter of the Aboriginal American community rivals few. He frequently conducts tours of Greenwood District, educating tourists on its rich history, as well as the tragedy following the massacre of 1921. Mr. Terry is a proud, sovereign citizen of the Muscogee Greek Nation. A century ago, this neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma was known as Black Wall Street. This is Greenwood Avenue, the heart of Black Wall Street. It was one of the few places in the then heavily segregated United States where blacks were prospering. In 1921, a white mob attacked Greenwood, destroying nearly every building and killing up to 300 people. But for decades, no one seemed to want to talk about it. Enter Terry Bacchus, also known as the mayor of Greenwood. That's not a real job, but the mayor has been on a very real mission, creating this homemade mini museum. It begins in the early 20th century when African Americans created their own haven in Greenwood. It was a place of wealth, a place of prosperity, a place of, of culture, uh, a place of black excellence. Then the attack. The photos can be hard to look at. Humiliation. So they wanted to humiliate you like, I got you. But the exhibit is about much more than just tragedy. The exhibit tracks Greenwood's history from prosperity to the disaster of the 1921 massacre to the neighborhood's rebuilding and rebirth. In the years after the massacre, there was still intense racism, including the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. But blacks rebuilt and Greenwood thrived again. But in the 1970s, so-called urban renewal put a highway through Greenwood and the neighborhood struggled. You know, like Greenwood been on life support to me for the last 50 years. Now Greenwood is once again rising. New black-owned businesses have popped up and a history center will soon open its doors. Greenwood today is uh, a place of uh, remembrance. Greenwood is a place that's learning, that's going to be thriving again. You know, uh, people can learn a lesson. The whole country can learn a lesson on resiliency, uh, on togetherness, on community. Jim Spellman, CGTN, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
Ladies and gentlemen, gods and goddesses, without further ado, please welcome the ambassador of Greenwood, Mr. Terry. Back in peace, Mr. Terry. Yeah, good evening. Uh, it's a blessing to be on the show this evening. Oh, it's a blessing to have you. I just want to say uh, thank you uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I'm truly honored to have you on as a guest on the show, and I'm excited about the knowledge and wisdom that you are about to share with our audience. Mr. Terry, you are a native of Tulsa. Can you please sure. share? Can you please share with the audience what it was like growing up there, with all of the history of what happened in Greenwood? Well, you know, it really was fascinating to uh, grow up in Tulsa. Um, as a young kid, um, Greenwood, you know, we didn't call it Black Wall Street. It was just Greenwood to us. And um, as I recollect, I remember as a little kid, but about eight years old, I would walk to Greenwood and uh, get the uh, black newspaper, which uh, the blacks owned, the Oklahoma Eagle. And I would, you know, sell the Oklahoma Eagle all across Tulsa, like, Folks sell the final call now. I would do the same with Eagle. And I would see remnants of Greenwood, what was there. And it really inspired me to learn more about it. Awesome, awesome. How did you receive the honor of becoming the mayor of Greenwood? And how long have you been offering tours of the, of, uh, the thriving business district? Well, you know, just a little moniker of uh, this way I greet people. Uh, way I openly, you know, welcome uh, people to Greenwood. Uh, the tourist thing, um, that horse is out the barn. So that, it's hard not to be a part of it. It's hard not to, you know, say, no, I can't give you a tour. I can't talk to you about it. But the moniker of the mayor of Greenwood, it was just something that, you know, the local businessmen uh, and women there, uh, you know, bestowed upon me. It was nothing that I thought of, anything like that. Awesome, awesome. So, when I had the opportunity to attend your tour of Greenwood this past summer, perhaps my favorite part was seeing the memorial courtyard that commemorated the ancestors who built Greenwood. Uh, one of the monuments, it said the following, the Trail of Tears was our trail, trail too, from North Carolina and Tennessee, Alabama and Georgia, Mississippi and Florida, we came walking a thousand miles through summer heat and winter wind, Cherokee, Creek, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminole, brothers and sisters, slaves, and free. How does it make you feel knowing that these same five civilized tribes in Oklahoma and throughout the U.S. have now been reduced by $5 Indians and with the aid of economic relief bills, reparations, and tribal casino gaming revenues, they brought in billions annually, while the majority of the descendants of the real Indians have been reclassified as either Black or African American when they currently sit at the bottom of the socioeconomic class in America. Well, you know, it's nothing that I'm you know, proud of that the way they have done our people. I was just speaking with a, a person yesterday and they was like, well, we was freedmen. I said, no, we weren't freedmen. We were not freedmen. We, we, are, we are the melanated people. We are the indigenous people of this landmass. And I said, you got to think about something. Every major landmass, every major island chain, the people look like us. 
except on this land, man, sir. They won't, they won't give us. I said, well, the Indians, they, they are the tribes agreed to, listen to this, they said the tribes agreed to that they had slaves. What they did was those Siberian people who they put in charge, and who want to call them Indians of this day, they're keeping white supremacy moving forward. And I explained it to them like that, and they looked at each other and said, you got a point, you know. And I'm not happy about what, what it took place. There's a lot of people that's in Oklahoma that love to be called freemen, but I can't get my car, I can't get on the road, my family's not on the road anymore because they put the freemen out. You know, understand that, that you're not freemen, you are actually uh, indigenous, you are actually a part of that nation, and they won't accept it. They just, they're rather be known as freemen. Fun fact about the word freemen, I actually had did a show a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dane Calloway uh, went in on the topic of freemen. Freemen, uh, and I've done some research to back that up, actually were the Christianized Aboriginal Americans. So if you got civilized and you accepted Christianity, you were considered freemen. So you weren't uh, like freed from slavery, you were freed from what they deemed as mental slavery by becoming civilized as a Christian. And so, and these are a lot of these people who are the so-called quote-unquote freemen are really just the people that you know <laughs> became the boule later. But that's another topic. I don't want right. to take us off tangent. But you know, you and I can 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 dabble in that a little bit later. Um, I mentioned in the bio, in the bio that you are a sovereign citizen with the Muscogee Creek Nation. What was the process for membership, and what is it like being a minority in a tribe that was once predominantly Aboriginal? Well, there wasn't a process. I was just born. I was born. That's my heritage, right? Uh, I can trace uh, my lineage uh, to the to the nation, uh, the Muscogee Creek Nation, all the way back to the mid seventeen hundreds, and so. Um, my family came through the Trail of Tears. My family had been on this land in Oklahoma before it was a statehood, before Tulsa was a city, before Greenwood was a street in Tulsa. Uh, my family has been a part of the Muscogee Creek Nation. There wasn't a process. Now, for some, there is a process, right? Uh, and this is how they did it. Like, uh, the, the, the male child couldn't be on the road. But the female child could be on the road, right? So, you yeah, say your grandmother, uh, your uh, you know your great great grandmother, or your great great grandfather, his children could not be on the road if he wasn't, you know. So that's how it went. So you had to, you know, I was just blessed, and uh, that's my heritage. That's who I am. Uh, I'm a sovereign citizen. Um, and Muscogee Creek is again. We are we are minorities of a, a nation that once belonged to us, that once uh, was a real proud, melanated nation. Absolutely. Um, I can recall from the tour that I attended of yours uh, back in July, uh, <laughs> that's, that you said that the Greenwood Business District was once a mile long and 10 blocks wide. I can never like undo though that, that sentence. I will forever have that embedded in my brain. How did the Aboriginal American ancestors build Greenwood and the other thriving Oklahoma communities similar to it? Okay. First of all, Greenwood, there's two two reasons Greenwood prospered and built the way it did. First was 
oil in the early 1900s, Tulsa was basically what Dubai is today with the riches of oil. So when they found oil out in Oklahoma, that's when the industrial age kicked in real strong with combustible engines and different things of that nature. And when the oil boomed in Tulsa, uh, the money trickled down. You know, for the most part, most of us was in the service industry, meaning we was butlers, uh, bellhops, chauffeurs, maids, or sort. You know, we had our professionals, you know, like B.C. Franklin, uh, attorney, uh, one of the guys that saved Greenwood in the early 1900s after the massacre because they tried to take it. But the second reason was before Oklahoma became a statehood, there was over 50 black townships. And why was there 50 black townships? First of all, there was land patches. We got land patches, right? We got land allotments, right? So we began to build cities and towns in those in, in uh, Oklahoma. Now, those who call themselves Indians of today, they, was, they didn't get land patches, but they were allowed to live in the, uh, on reservations. But for Greenwood, so that, that was it that all money and the network system of black townships into Oklahoma. Uh, before I go any further, I just want to tell everybody, you're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that. I get a, I'm a little silly. People know that. Uh, but uh, now it has been reduced to the equivalent of a block on both sides of the street. Um. And I told you when we met in person, when we were having our side conversations, that as jubilated as I was about finally getting to experience that, I was equally, if not more, pissed off. Uh, and I just want to know, I mean, what goes through your mind during your frequent revisits of the rich history of Greenwood that you go through so eloquently, so passionately, when you know that at least 90%, if not more, of that land property is owned and controlled by Oklahoma State University. Well, what really goes through my mind is that uh, I just want to teach the people and tell the people what was there. I mean, it's, it's not much you really can do because the land doesn't belong to, to anyone anymore. There's families not living there anymore. So, you know, it happened as I, as I began in my teen years, when I became a teenager, that's when the process happened and that's in the process of finalizing of urban renewal and um, intimate domain of properties that they just took control you know it was out of it was out of my out of my reach at the time and that, you know so I just try to you know teach as much as I can about the situation about what took place you know for me urban renewal and intimate domain was just as worse as the massacre we know we lost lives during the massacre, right? We know that the massacre happened after 15 years after Greenwood, you know, was thriving. But when they rebuilt again, they started rebuilding in 1922. The first building went back up in 22. By 1925, they was fully functional, fully. The district was moving once again. It had a 45-year run until 1970. And then come a renewal. You know, desegregation Greenwood as well. Wow. Wow. I have to pause for a moment. That's that's crazy. So after the destruction, you rebuilt it within four years and it was fully functional. 
until 1970s and they started with the with the with the legislation that's not surprising um, for the members of the audience who aren't familiar with how Greenwood got the name Black Wall Street you I know you alluded to it earlier that growing up there that's not what you and your your brethren called it could you please educate uh, everyone in the audience and, and on the, the guest panel the story and uh, how all the other black economic epicenters um, you know got their name and also how they were also destroyed well actually what it was uh, in 1913 uh, they had just uh, uh, honored you know a school of the name of Booker T. Washington so Booker T. Washington came to Tulsa and he seen all the commerce that was going on this is now 1913 there was so much commerce going on with business just doing you know you know trading with one another doing business so he you know he called it negro wall street you know basically it was a misnomer too you know not to see him probably joking about saying negro wall street you know and uh it wasn't compared to black i mean to, to wall street in new york but it was because it was called negro he just called it negro wall street and see actually the term negro actually means indian if you look at the history books and see what Walter Peckler did in out of Virginia in the night in the early 1900s, he had you know we was reclassified, and just how they doing right now with critical race theory, every state is jumping aboard on you know okay we can't teach critical race theory. Well, in the early 1900s when they reclassified us from being Indians to Negroes, a lot of people don't even know that Negro really means Indian, right? Because they reclassified us. And the state of Virginia was the first to do it. And I believe it in the mid-1920s, right? So what every other state caught on and did the same thing. But that's how, you know, Tulsa, Greenwood and Tulsa became known as uh, Negro Wall Street. You know, as years went on, it, you know, they reclassified us to black. So they still calling it Black Wall Street. And really, it's a moniker for the establishment, the white establishment. They don't like the mention of Greenwood. They'd rather call it Black Wall Street than Greenwood Avenue. Thank you so much for um, providing context, and, and that is going to segue to this uh, next point. Now, you know, I always send my questions out to uh, all my guests before the show, and I'm sure you probably saw this one, knew it was coming, but, you know, I, I don't avoid, you know, something needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed, and I asked you a question uh when we were there and I met you uh, back in July and, and I'm going to reiterate this question and rephrase it and format it over the course of the last two decades, the story of black wall street has become a popular topic during black history month and on social media with several Instagram accounts and hashtags using the moniker. You also have high profile people like killer Mike and Jay Morrison capitalizing off the name of Greenwood and Black Wall Street. Have any of these people contacted you or anyone, uh, any of your associates regarding the directly regarding the use of the name or did they donate their proceeds to your uh, your businesses? Or, and how do you feel? And if not, how do you feel about the exploitation of your home and history? from people in our own community. Well, I know for a fact about three years ago, Jay Morrison, you know, when he came out with the uh, 
the Telsa moniker, the Black Wall Street uh, deal. Uh, he tried to come. He claimed he was going to purchase those buildings. Some people got behind him and jumped aboard, but that's been nothing. That thing died as soon as it, you know, or Tulsa is funny, right? You know, we just ain't going to let anybody come and do their thing on Greenwood, you know. Even with the bank, Greenwood with Killer Mike, that's not going to last. No, they haven't been supportive, you know. I have, you know, they got me in a small documentary that they have, uh, uh, Bank of Greenwood, but that it's not gonna, it's not gonna materialize. They can use that name. Even uh, the young rapper, uh, I can't think of that guy's name, but he called his organization the Black Black Wall Street, right? So he has, uh, he has copyrighted the name. Actually, uh, I can't think of his name. He sung with Fifty Cent on songs. He out of L.A., but. Nothing. They haven't done nothing. They have. I mean, even Gap Band itself it hasn't really did too much or nothing pertaining to Greenwood. They from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you know, we we are we are some different type people when it comes to you trying to you know use Greenwood. We're not gonna get behind you because we know you're not Greenwood, right? It, it's about being Greenwood. It ain't about being Black Wall Street. It's Greenwood to us. I so appreciate you addressing that because uh, I've been I've been wanting to ask you that question for again for quite some time. Uh, so thank you so much for eloquently answering that. And uh, I love it that you don't hold back. I appreciate that. That's why we struck in the core. You was just so real and raw. I was like, man, I like Mr. Terry. Well, I got to get hey, can, I, can I add this also? Yes, sir. And that song that Gav Band has. You dropped a bomb on me. He was not talking about what took place in 21. Mm-hmm. He was talking about that fine woman had that bomb. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what that was about. It wasn't about the 21 massacre. Yes, sir. Thank you so yeah. much for addressing that. Um, and uh, you and I have talked exclusively um, or privately about your uh, your documentary on Greenwood. How long before it's released and, and how can we support it? Okay, the release date that we have set right now is for to release in February, uh, which they call Black History Month. We want to get it out in February. The documentary is, is going to be about, uh, it's not going to be a regurgitation of the massacre and, the, you know, the trauma. It's going to be about the life of Greenwood, especially after the rebuild. And, you know, people are going to tell their stories about Greenwood and how they lived in Greenwood. What, See, Greenwood, for people that lived in the district, meant a many different things to a many different people. So we're going to have those different people coming on, and they're going to be talking about Greenwood. There's no historians, per se, in this. It's just going to be the people that was raised in Greenwood. It's going to be the people that went to Charles S. Johnson Elementary, the people that went to Carver Middle School, the people that went to Booker T. Washington, the people that was born at Moulton Hospital, right? If you was all four of those things, there you Greenwood, right? And, you know, that's what it's going to be about. And the film, there is a way you can help. Uh, there's a GoFundMe page. You know, it's under the uh, moniker of the Greenwood Avenue Project, uh, Black Wall Street film. And uh, you can just go to that GoFundMe page and support it how you like. You know, everything is, you know, it will be a blessing that you can, you know, you guys can do that. And so we can get this film out there. It's, it's just going to be totally different when it hits. It's going to be just different. So just to uh, recap, you said that is a GoFundMe and it's Greenwood Avenue Project. 
Right. It's on the Greenwood Avenue project. Copy that. Thank you, sir. Oh, Greenwood Ave. A V E project. A V E. Okay. Yeah, project. Yeah. Make sure. Cindy, you 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 getting it? <laughs> All right. I'm a huge advocate of Dr. Claude Anderson's uh, Powernomics plan. Uh, I often incorporate him in my montages during these shows. Um, how can people on this panel and in the audience support you with the revitalization effort of Greenwood? And how can we help get your land back that was stolen from the ancestors who built your genealogy? Excuse me, built your community. Where did I get genealogy? Well, community. I mean... Well, there's, there's several different ways, you know, things are like right now the city of Tulsa is in the process of looking to, uh, really it's really just vacation, man. It's so close to downtown. You know, they, they got a plan that's 30 years ahead of what we're not already trying to put together. And they, you know, they plan on, you know, right now is in the works of uh, building up the area. You know, where we was on top of the uh, Standpipe Hill, just north of there's an area where they want to revitalize, but it's but we know what it is though. You know they they say they're gonna have they call it the Kilpatrick Greenwood uh, project, and so but the real way to to make it work is uh just give the land back, you know, and like actually like ninety nine point nine of the people who grew up in Greenwood don't even come back to Greenwood anymore because it's not Greenwood to them. You know, it's it's just not. So I mean, I, I don't know what it'll take. All I know that was a proud place. It was a place of prosperity. It was a place where people loved on one another. It was a real community, and they choked the life out of it with urban renewal and uh, gentrification. Man, they really did it bad. Well, I tell you what, that's a conversation we're going to have to have behind closed doors. We got Cinemaca on here, our, our tribal jurist. I'm sure with genealogy, uh, we should be able to uh, trace back uh, some uh, records and for the rightful owners and see, see what we can do. Uh, you know, they're doing it all over the country. We got people, uh, I know there's a, a beach in California that a family was awarded uh, that, was, uh, that they inherited. And so, so we, that's, that's definitely a... Conversation for another day. We will have to go in depth on that. Uh, that is the same question over and over again. Uh, Mr. Terry, how do you feel today, sir? I feel good, man. I sure appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, I just ask everyone to uh, just buckle down, man, and hold down to what you got. Keep, you know, letting the folks know who we are. We are indigenous people. You know, as long as we had that moniker, I'm an African American, I'm a freeman, we ain't got nothing coming. But we come on and stand on us being indigenous and, and knowing who who we are and get sovereign. It, you know, that's the main thing. We have to get sovereign and, and and let the people know that we are sovereign people and this belongs to us. You can't have it. Absolutely. That's, that's why they come in with the critical race theory is because history was getting ready to be counseled out as we know it. So they're trying to put a stop to it, you know. They're trying to put a stop to it, but it, it, that ball is rolling strong. And I, and I see it every day. There's more and more people that think like I think, that feel like I feel, you know, that, that gravitate to the things that I gravitate to pertaining to this land mass that belong to us. Yes, indeed. 
All right, so we got time for uh, we got three other guests. So um, I want to get a, a quick brief uh, Q and A with uh, Mr. Backus. Do I have uh, three people in the audience with a question? And I do stress questions. I know people love to come up here and give comments. We have a a segment for that. It's called you know the open forum. We do that at the end of the show. But do I have anybody that has a question for Mr. Backus at the moment? Raise your hand. No questions. Anybody on the, the, the get on the panel have a question for Mr. Backus? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Terry, I appreciate you taking your time to join us today. How can a member of the audience um, or the guest panel uh, contact you to schedule a tour or to, well, we've already talked about how to invest in uh, the, the revitalization project in Greenwood, but uh, how, um, how can we, how can we get in contact with you, sir? Yes, you can go to my web page, which is Tour of Green. No, no, I don't. I'm out, I don't even call it Black Wall Street, but somebody made this up. It's Tour of Black That's my web page that you come and, and request a tour, and uh, I can accommodate you on that tour at any. You know, it, it, my blocks dates are filling up, but Tour of Black That's how you can find me and reach me. Tour of BlackWallStreet.com. Everybody get that down. Um, do you have time to stick around a little, a little longer for the, the panel discussion that we're going to do um, after the interview? Yes, I'll, I'll be available. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, sir. So, yeah, we're going to um, move on to the next segment. Um, up next on the Cyber Creek Show, we discuss self-administered reparations with Cinemaka Salahuddin. Once you get a community... That's your platform. That's your baseline. It's because you got turf and territory. It's like building a house. Now you got something that's situated on. You can't build a house with nothing. It has to be structured on something. And once you've got that foundation, that community, now the first thing you work on is economics. You started practicing group economics in a vertical order. Practicing group economics. Making your money bounce in your own community eight to 12 times before it leaves. Spend your money with your own people first. Buy from your own people first. That, so you get an economy going in your community. Buying your own people's products, services, and goods, like you do in Chinatown, any other town, Mexican town. And if you hear about reparations, get this very firmly fixed in your mind. You're not here for a parlor discussion. It's not something to talk about that's nice. If you don't get reparations, black folk, you're through in this country. Maybe that very specific for you. You see, what's happening to black Americans is that black Americans have been systematically socially engineered into the lowest level of a real-life monopoly game. You do not own and control a sufficient amount of anything to be competitive in America. And you get, you've been marginalized now for 400 years. You're getting ready to be buried. You can get buried under at least a whole broad groups of ambiguous groupings. That's everything from culture groups, language groups, and gender groups. You're going down. You, it's no longer an issue. You better get reparations and get it fast. Senator Salah-Uddin is a certified tribal jurist operating under the jurisdiction of the Aboriginal Republic of North America. He specializes in self-administered reparations for the so-called Negro in America. His indigenous law firm, Asla Kun Khan, currently operates in Region 1 in conjunction with Dr. Pawatun Shiamaru Estates, specializing in indigenous nationality, tax law, corporate law and personal injury law. For Aboriginal entrepreneurs looking to scale their businesses, they also offer business credit consulting. He also holds a master's degree in information technology and 12 
information security certifications. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Cinemaka Salah Uddin. Peace, God. Peace, God. How you doing? Oh man, I can't complain. I'm I'm just I'm just elated for this. I'm, I was so looking for this. I was so excited and looking forward to this episode. I just want to say I appreciate you for joining us today. You and I have developed quite a relationship and rapport over the past few months. It's been a tremendous blessing and infinite asset to my family. And I can't thank you enough for the impact that you had on us in such a short period of time. You're an embodiment of integrity and accountability. Um, more than just a lawyer, I can tell you that. I consider you a brother and I'm truly excited to have you on as a guest on the show. So let's get to it. Thank you, brother. Let's go. Absolutely. We at Cyber Creed have a strong belief that nation building begins with family. How does an aboriginal like yourself manage your client portfolio while also balancing the time for being a great husband and father? Um, the way I balance that is by just um just doing the work, man. You grind. Sleep is for when we when we're dead, in my opinion. So I just work and work and try to get everybody where we need to be as a people heard that. I understand you are combat systems interior communications specialist for the U.S. Navy. Thank you for your service. Yeah, uh, I was uh, U.S. Navy from uh, 93 to 204 when I was a 14th Amendment citizen. And um, that was that time in my life. How have you applied that experience uh, to your current endeavors? Um, I, I can say that I learned professionalism there. And so that's where I learned the integrity and try to uh, be a man of my word. Uh, we certainly need that. Uh, prior to your experience with tribal law, you specialize in IT auditing. I've, I'm very intrigued by that. Could you uh, walk us through a typical day in that field? Uh, yeah, currently I have an IT audit business. I have two contracts that I work on. I do an internal, external, and financial audit, stock audits for uh, corporations for information technology equipment. And uh, basically that is, uh, I'll get an audit and I will go through the process of making sure that the uh, equipment that's used to secure people's personal information, financial information is being followed properly and working properly and documented. Mm -hmm. So we're going to uh, go on a little journey here. For the members of the audience, who aren't familiar with the term self-administered reparations. Could you please explain what that means? Could you, could you put it in context, context for us, specifically to the so-called Negro in America? Well, I would start by saying the Honorable Elijah Muhammad once said, you don't have to condemn a dirty glass, just put a clean glass next to it and it will condemn itself. So self-reparation is access for autonomy over your life, the freedom to control your life and have natural law. It allows us to be a part of a government that's for us, that, re that represents our natural law. Hmm. Speaking of the term so-called Negro in America, um, when you hear that phrase, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I'll separate that. So I think the term Negro is just a uh, colonized, misnomer, colonized words that's used by uh, the uh, people who try to, uh, who own this land right now and trying to uh, keep us enslaved to uh, put us down. 
and the so-called Negro meaning that we are not the so we are the indigenous people. We are the original people of this land. And we have to understand that and we have to operate in that nature and we have to operate using natural law and treaties that we sign to our advantage. Yes, indeed. Uh, we've seen our people respond to racial inequality with marches, rallies, and protests for more than a half a millennium. And yet we've only received symbolic gestures from the United States Corporation. What do you have to say to people who have been in a lifelong fight for equality and inclusion? Well, there's no uh, equality. Can you hear me, brother? Loud and clear. Okay. There's no equality or inclusion available to us. Uh, the proper thing to do is to nationalize, take autonomy over your life, and a government that represents you and protect your natural laws and to operate in that in that process. Yes. Stuff isn't as complicated as we make it, people. I mean, uh, throughout history, we've heard about prominent black organizations such as the uh, United Negro Improvement Association, the Morris Science Temple, the Nation of Islam, the Black Panther Party, and the Black Liberation Army, promoting black empowerment, group economics, and, liber and liberation for all melanated people. How does ARNA differ from these other groups? Um, through the guidance of our chief, um, we have nationalization. The benefits of nationalization, again, I'm going to say this word over and over again, is autonomy over your life, tax exemptions from sales, property, and, and commerce when you operate in commerce, higher class citizenship through domestic and international treaties, access to our indigenous holistic doctors and cosmology, and our jurors. So it allows you to be within your government, operate as your, your ancestor operated. And outside of reclaiming, reclaiming one's indigenous political identity, what other benefits does nationalizing with ARNA, which is the acronym for the Aboriginal Republic of North America, award prospective families? So I would say uh, for families, again, it's a tax exemption for life for a sales tax, property tax, and in commerce, uh, receiving domestic and international protections and becoming a foreign to the U.S., becoming a dual citizen of the U.S. and an Aboriginal tribal government, uh, receiving guarantees and protections from the U.S. as a higher class citizen, accessing the tribal medicine and, vac and the vaccine contracations, our holistic doctors, our cosmology program, and our Juris program. Recently, I was a guest on the Make Me Free podcast with host Joel Sagey, right here on, on the Wake Up Radio. Got you know I got to do my shout outs to my producer Cindy Ashby. Got to get in those plugs. But anyway, the topic that we discussed was birth certificate versus birth of nativity. For the members of the audience who aren't familiar with this concept or the contracts of the matrix that essentially binds us as slaves to the state, can you explain what services Arna or your law firm offers to free us from them specifically? Those contracts. Well, myself. Arna, um, the Oshahun Khan uh, law firm, me and uh, Amina Shiamaru, we uh, work together. And what we do is we offer people nationalization, which gives them, again, that word that's key to everybody, autonomy over their life. Um, we do debt discharges from the things that they went through as 14th Amendment citizens. 
We do credit consultations. We do credit restoration, IRS uh, debt removal, business registration, child support, uh, legal assistance, and, and business credit. Because once you become nationalized and you're operating under your tribal trust, you need as as individuals and as businesses, we need to redevelop our um, profile and operate as entrepreneurs within our business and have resources to grow our business. And God, how long does the process of nationalizing usually take? Uh, me and uh, Amina Shiamaru together, it normally takes us roughly three to five weeks after we receive everything to complete the paperwork. And then after that, it comes with a set of instructions that you have to follow that nationalizes you. Awesome. Uh, could you explain the difference between consumer credit and business credit? So I would say when we're consumer credit, it's personal credit based off of your so-called social security number. And it's based income to your debt to ratio. When we become nationalized, we get a tribal trust account uh, based off the EIN number. And when you get business credit, it's based off of how you uh, pay your bills. Within 90 to 120 days, my firm can get you business credit, tier one, tier two, tier three. And then depending on how much money is coming through your account, we can get you up to $150,000 line of credit. And that way you can work as an entrepreneur or, or you could just work in your personal life to uh, make it better and work to finance things that you like. Your car purchases, your home purchases, things like that. I just want to uh, notify the audience of uh, two particular things. First of all, um, definitely want to welcome Cinemaka. He's, he's going to be our our latest addition to the On the Waco Radio family. His uh, Ask the Jurist podcast will premiere this Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So make sure that uh, you have all your frequently asked questions uh, ready to go because he will be answering them. He's going to be answering some here in just a second, but he will be able to go in further detail. And also, um, you have an event going on tomorrow with Dr. Powell, too. You care to um, give us some information on that? Um, we're going to reschedule that event, but we were going to go over uh, business credit and how to in the sales process for the entrepreneurs within the uh, Arna community and those who want to be within the Arna community, we will uh, put out a new post for the change date of that event. But we definitely want to help people develop their business credit and how to market their business. Copy that. And forgive me, I misspoken. It's actually going to air next Sunday, which will be the 14th. That is when the uh, Ask the Jurist show will premiere. Um, do we have any members of the audience who has a question for Cinemaka? you do, uh, go ahead and uh, raise your hand. This would be the time to uh, hand. We got about time for three quick questions. Uh, if not, we will continue to move along. Like I said, we will have an open forum uh, here at the end of the show. And so, you know, feel free if you want to message him. I, I think you should be able to message people that's on the guest panel as well. Uh, but um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, God. How can a member of the audience contact your law firm or get started with the process of nationalization? Um, they can contact me at 203 or at yahoo.com. Um, me and Amina will work together on your nationalization process. And also you can follow me on Instagram at tishamoka underscore law underscore firm. And you can DM me there. Now, God, I've been calling you Cinemaka here for about two months and not one time have you corrected me. Now I feel terrible. <laughs> 
Tisha Mocha. You know how that was so easy. Tisha Mocha. So no more cinemaca for people. It, you've heard it live from the man himself, the God himself. Tisha Mocha. Tisha Mocha. Tisha Mocha. Thank you, God. You uh you got time to stick around for an open forum after we uh finish the interviews? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Excellent job. Up next on the Sovereign Cree Show, we discuss developing self-sufficient autonomous communities with Mr. Kai Shi Amaru. Black people have had to fight so hard for equality for so long, but while they were fighting for equality, white people were building equity. Equality will only come once the community can gain the equity that's been taken from them. We did the Homestead Act, white homesteaders were given just millions of acres of land, which explicitly did not include black people. My grandfather, when he came home from World War II, they gave him a low cost loan to buy a house. When a black GI came home from World War II, they weren't allowed to. White poverty is a tragedy of circumstance. It's globalism. But look at the way they talk about poverty in the inner city. Somehow it's the fault of the denizens there. At some point, they were redlined, government policies, predatory lending. Those things all colluded to ensure that black folks could not get into communities where there were more opportunities. So you're in these insular communities, ghettos, which means that you live in this town, you get one educational experience, you live in that suburb, you get a vastly different one. You live in this community, you're more likely to live by an environmental hazard. You're more likely to live in a medical desert and a food desert, and you're less likely to have transportation in and out of your community. So you're literally and physically trapped in your communities. So which means that you have not bought your kid a one-way ticket right back into that cycle. Town east of New York City, 17,000 homes in one place. What bank would be crazy enough to lend a developer the money to build 17,000 homes or 15,000 homes in one place for which he had no buyers? We were in a suburban country at that time. People thought the whole idea was lunacy. Who's going to want to live in a single-family home when they can live in a city instead? Any of these developers, the only way they could get the capital to build these giant subdivisions was by going to the Federal Housing Administration, submitting their plans for the development, uh, for approval of the construction materials they were going to use, the architectural design, the layout of the streets in the subdivision, and an explicit commitment not to sell a home to an African-American required by the Federal Housing Administration. The Federal Housing Administration even required, as a condition of these guarantees, developers like Levitt to place a clause in the deed of every home prohibiting resale to African-Americans or rental to African-Americans. These deeds still exist in these homes today. They're no longer enforced, no longer enforceable, but they're still there. What was the and let's not forget about the wiping out of Detroit Black Bottom in Paradise Valley. During a speech in Detroit, Lyndon B. Johnson proclaimed, our society will never be great until our cities are great. In the next 40 years, we must rebuild the entire urban U.S. The thriving Black-owned community of Seneca Valley, later by eminent domain, of course, and restructured to present-day Central Park. And there's Vinegar Hill in Charlottesville, demolished for better shops, apartments, and wider streets. So in case you're wondering where the University of Virginia stands on, Vinegar Hill. See, not a lot of people know this, but Southwest D.C. was actually a thriving community for Black-owned businesses and residences. But that was all the way up until the District of Columbia Act of 1950, which this act actually is responsible for displacing thousands upon thousands of African-American families in other areas. 
Um, and it affected the city greatly because 99% of the businesses leveled off. So it was ultimately bulldozing the, the culture uh, of, a, of, a, of a city that had so much potential. And since that took place between 1950 and 1965, I believe, over 800 cities in the United States, major cities at that, began a redevelopment uh, program of their own to gentrify their, their, their slums or their neighborhoods. That last piece was um, excerpts from a, a documentary produced by my wife and myself. Uh, it's called American Apartheid. Uh, probably, if you know, if you're talking to my wife, probably recognized her voice during that. Got a shout out to wifey. Kai Chi Amaru is a partner and director of architecture with the licensed architectural firm Dokes design. The firm specializes in full-service architecture, design, and planning. Kylie's design, project management, and programming efforts for small to mid-scale commercial and residential projects. After completing formal training in two travel abroad studios, Kai has worked professionally in architecture for just over a decade. With the belief that equitable development starts with community, he leverages his passion and architectural skill set to seek solutions to issues stemming from built environment inequities. Real estate developer and yet consults with other developers in a design capacity to create conceptual packages and provide requisite architectural and engineering guidance. A native of Detroit, Michigan, his current pivot centers on design with the functional indigenous African aesthetic in an effort to create work that directly empowers and emboldens his people to live prosperously now and into the future. A national of the Aboriginal Republic of North America, Kai graduated from the University of Michigan with a master's in architecture. Without further ado, please give a warm welcome to our guest, Kai Shi Amru. Peace, God. We were supposed to do this episode a month ago, but unfortunately we had to make some significant changes to the format of the show. It was well worth the wait because I couldn't think of a better panel to have you a part of. Um, we've had infinite builds over the course of the past six months from everything from marriage, fatherhood, chess, nation building, the walking dead, the fab five, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are one of the smartest people I know. And you and your wife and I have two beautiful boys and I can, can't wait to see my son develop with uh, your contributions to the Sovereign Creed show that have been valued long before you became a guest. And now I get to ask you some questions uh, to say that I'm geeked about this would be an understatement. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. He has a boy and a girl. Thank you, Sheree. Forgive me. Thank you for joining us today, God. And uh, how are you feeling? Oh, man. That was crazy. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a touchy topic, man. You know, you're talking about urban re re renewal and removal and gentrification. They heard the credentials. They said, oh, no, we can't let him say a word. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the warm welcome, good brother. I'm well and motivated. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just want to say, uh, you know, during one of our first conversations, hold up. Oh, yeah, sorry. During one of our first conversations, I shared with you that as a sophomore uh, at Franklin High School in Righteousstown, Maryland, I also had aspirations of becoming an architect until the architect who taught our AutoCAD class pretty much said that he hated his job. Don't ever become an architect. First of all, 
Why he would say such a thing to impressionable teenagers, I have no idea. And if you were in his position talking to someone like myself, what would your answer be to a student if they were to ask you, do you like being an architect and why? All right, that's a good question. Uh, first, first, was your teacher black or white? And I'm only I'm asking that question whether or not he was black or white because it's a strong possibility he was deterring you from just being better than him in the field of architecture in general. Uh, also, and probably because nine times out of ten his answer was like that because he was broke, overworked, and I would say lacked purpose. So my answer to to a student is the first thing I'll say is I ask them is what problems do you want to solve, as opposed to not you know not what you want to be when you grow up. And answering the question about what problems you want to solve, this question has set them up to realize purpose and have the opportunity at that point to use architecture as a tool, design as a tool. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I like I like being in the role of an architect uh, it, because it deals with uh, just overall science and design. So first thing is, what problems do you want to solve? And at that point, I can talk to that student about how to use architecture as a tool to solve those problems. That is an absolute excellent answer, and I wouldn't expect anything less coming from you, God. You had an opportunity to uh, listen to the opening montage. Uh, it's been well documented how the, how hard the city of Detroit has been hit from gentrification, where the city was once known for being the industrial epicenter of the motor industry and the hub for black entertainment with Motown Records, both producing a thriving black middle class that was as formidable as any city in the country. As a native, how does hearing that make you feel and how does that, how has that had an effect on your outlook as an architect? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, first off, I'll just say it's no surprise that the European system would subvert our collective efforts, subvert our heroes, uh, transforming all of that into characters, and I would say twisted psychological weapons to use against us. Uh, you know, even if you think about the built environment, you take away what we used as, a, as our is our economic center, which is home, which is buildings, which is 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 is, is our jumping off point as a people. And then you rip that away, and then you give us back, say, you know, MLK Boulevard, Malcolm X Boulevard, Marcus Garvey Boulevard, and it, and it's no knock on the, on our ancestors, but it's just to say that it, it's just twisted. It's a twisted system that would do something like that to a people. So the the effect. You know, this has on my work is tremendous because in a city with vacancy, dilapidated buildings, I see potential. I see raw material in a similar way that oil barons saw industry, as uh, the brother Terry mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, an alchemist, you know, for instance, can take one material and transform it into something else. So I see what was turned into what can be. Um, I, I wake up working to see what we need and how to use that raw material to provide great spaces for us to thrive. Uh, if, if health is diminished, I ask why. You know, is it bad lighting, no sun, uninspiring design elements, et cetera? You know, we keep talking about the village. Well, how do we design for that? Better use of space for grandma, right? You know, lower the base cabinet height because she has to sit while she's preparing food as opposed to your standard 36 inches, let's just say. Or organize the, the space to teach our babies you know, indoor-outdoor space, green housing in colder climates and gardens so we can spend uh, more time soaking up some of that sun. However, you know, 
I, I would say I'm, I'm currently working on a project. I, I mentioned like MLK Boulevard, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but I, I'm working on a project now on, on MLK Boulevard in Detroit with a couple upcoming brothers that agree that this, you know, down in the trenches state of being must, you know, must change. So, you know, keep in mind Detroit is 85% black. Those pretty dope statistics because if you do a cross section of all the melanated people here, you know, we range from the homeless all the way to, you know, the social, economic, political elite. So the potential our brothers and sisters have here is tremendous and the world knows it, which is why, you know, there's a continued concerted effort to, to continue to uh, edge us out. <clears throat> you got me over here smile like a proud uncle. <laughs> I do have to apologize to you. Uh, Sharice sent me a text and said, so I was correct. Um, you do have two boys, so forgive me, uh, you and Naima. Uh, and shout out to those two young guys, uh, uh, Osawe. And tell me again what the, what the, what the, uh, your infant young son's name is? Kijani. Kijani, yes. Sorry, yeah. Kijani. Oh, no, it's all, it's all good. It's all yeah. good, guys. Yes, yes. For the members of the audience, could you please explain the difference between urban development and urban renewal? Yeah, simplistically, development is really creating and building for the public domain. Creating and building for the, the public domain. Things that you use, uh, you know, amenities that you use, places of worship, uh, you know, in, industry, etc. Renewal, however, uh, in this context is pejorative. It, it really is about the removal of old industry or removal of the slums. So the trick really is that both of them typically don't imagine Aboriginal black people driving the process, you know, in the economic building aesthetic sense. If you look at downtown developments in major cities, they'll remind you of European design, urban designs. You know, it's cool and all, right? You're looking for something a bit better or cleaner or nicer, uh, but we believe that it's cool because we're conditioned to believe so. So what I appreciated, for instance, you know, and you're a movie buff, Jay, and I appreciate that. What, what I appreciated about the Black Panther, for instance, that movie is that it, it was a reimagination of the built environment in Wakanda. You know, I have critiques, of course, you know, throughout, but the architectural seed planet is, is definitely sprouting. Mm, 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 mm. Depending on where you live, Detroit and Flint, Michigan are about an hour drive from one another. The effects of the Flint water crisis can be felt in every melanated community throughout the country. But could you share what you learned during that moment in history from the perspective of a Michigan native? Yeah, man, I mean, it's, 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 it, was, it was and still is, but it really was a sad state of affairs, brother. It was, um, you know, I, I have people that were caught up in that, people that I know personally caught up in that mess. Um, you know, and I just think about my people, especially so close to home. Um, it, it just, it just it really hurt my heart, you know, and there were, there were several black grassroots organizations, you know, that were and still are about that life when it comes to assisting our people. I just put that out there. You know, all of us jumped in and helped our people, despite the narrative being shared globally, you know, and I'm talking about all of us in terms of churches, people in the hood, you know, um, uh, gangs, uh, uh, grassroots, tons of grassroots organizations, you know, and they still don't have clean water. And those that fall are still at large. I mean, the former uh, um, governor at that time, you know, he's he's just, you know, dancing essentially, you know, as, as the courts jump through hoops. And I would say it's ironic that the state, 
with the Great Lakes, right, the most natural water, you know, essentially in one area on the planet, you know, did this to our people. However, when I tie what is being experienced here with Harriet Washington's uh, medical apartheid, I quickly realized that there are several precedents for this level of medical and chemical warfare. Mm. You know, you know, we, we've had several conversations about that book. Uh, that is a must, a must read. It should be on the shelf of everyone in this room. Uh, during the Great Migration from 1915 to 1970, that saw millions of our melanated American elders move from primarily rural Jim Crow Southern areas first to industrialized urban northern cities such as Chicago, Illinois, your home, Detroit, Michigan, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, New York, New York, and later to West Western uh, California cities such as Oklahoma, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and then finally the Pacific Northwest to cities like Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, in search of freedom, equality, economic opportunity, and economic opportunity, excuse me. After a millennium of segregation, integration, gentrification, redlining, and extreme poverty conditions, many of the descendants of those same families including my own, are making a mass migration back to rural life in search of complete peace and autonomy. How can we ensure that this time our plight is successful on a macro level so that the generations after us have the ability to thrive despite the current conditions? Uh, that question really touches home. Uh, my, my grandparents uh, started off in Tennessee, South Carolina, my grandfather came up from South Carolina, uh, and that's how we got to Detroit. Uh, he worked in the industry, of course. He built up enough uh, um, uh, money, effectively, to buy 10 and a half acres worth of farmland uh, about an hour south of uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? Which is extremely rural. It's country. It's blackout, dark soil. You know, mosquitoes is about as big as a baby shoe. So it's. It was the, it's the country, country, you know, and since then that, that property is gone, unfortunately, and that's another story for another day. Um, so first we have to realize that, that it's not going to be easy and it isn't a going to be necessarily a utopia in the way that Europeans define that word. And that's the first thing that we have to realize is that it's going to take work. And that level of work is, is, is something that, that we have to figure out how to, to do in terms of where our skill sets are and capitalize, I would say, and, and uh, parlay each of our individual skill sets into something greater. And that's to build systems that we have to, that we have to protect. So build systems with only us in mind, only us in mind. The greatest question we can ask ourselves is, you know, is what we're doing going to work in the best interest of us as a collective? A huge shift, you know, must be made, I would say, from the accepted terms you know, we use to define our motivations, you know, such as equality and diversity and jobs, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and you said it, really, you know, autonomy, you know, is, is, is something that must be unpacked, mastery, self-sufficiency, and power, in capital letters, you know, power. And even those words must be, again, you know, unpacked for our own benefit because what some of those words means to, you know, say a one group of people means something different to another. So building systems to talk through, you know, ecology effectively. And that's how we interact with each other, how we interact with our environment, how we interact with our buildings. Our aesthetic must be determined 
I would say, in a dynamic and a non-static way. The aesthetic should come out of the function. What do we need to function to thrive? So therefore, we ask that question, we design it, and then the aesthetic and the beauty comes out. And I'll give you an example. You know, we need the sun. You know, so theoretically, none of our structures should be hiding from None of them. None of them. You know, shaded in some areas, yes, but, but hiding, no. One of the smartest people I know, <laughs> like I said, uh, in your bio, it mentions that your current pivot centers on design with a functional indigenous African aesthetic in an effort to create work that directly empowers and emboldens your people to live pro- prosperously now and into the future. Could you please elaborate on that statement? Brother? Yeah, you, you're kind of going in and out, but yeah, I, I, we, we can uh, we can uh, we can definitely understand you. It's like you'll be crystal clear, then you'll fade. But you know what? I don't even care because I, as long as I can understand you, that's why we have editing. And so my my producer she'll 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 she'll, uh, she'll fix that in the editing room. But yeah, did you understand that question? Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. I got it for sure. So. Um, that, so I started with the, you know, I started to sort of get at that with your last question, but essentially I'm trained by European, let's face it, University of Michigan. Knowing this, I've had to undergo a paradigm shift like I met more people, right? And, you know, that, that actually comes from Sick Man's workout album. I thought it was a dope line. Um, and shifting years of training and conditioning isn't easy. You know, isn't, it isn't as easy as many, many may, you know, may think because I have to essentially relearn or learn how to use my skill set for my people in a healthy way. I, I learn from people afraid of the sun, adverse to healthy soil, and that they're using color in a substantive kind of way. You know, you got beige buildings everywhere, so you can see it. So I, I just say that, you know, not only must we reach back, I would say, into time to grasp design concepts, you know, that was never taught to me. I must teach myself you know, while making the economy work within my household, you know, meaning effectively, I got to be able to still make money, right? And while I'm pivoting and trying to, you know, create projects and work for, for our people to, to, to thrive. It doesn't always, you know, jive in, in many ways. So, you know, with completely, without completely diminishing my academic experience, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I am thankful for a few lifelines thrown my way in the way of, you know, a couple of professors that have become mentors to me, trips to uh, the African continent and Europe, you know, for better or worse, and opportunities to create workshops essentially for our youth. Outstanding. The word sustainable has become a lightning rod due to the context of what it represents. On the surface, it appears to be, you know, representing environmentally conscious and energy efficient vehicles and communities. But when you begin to follow the money and dig a little deeper, you learn that it also is used to perpetuate a global agenda to eradicate carbon beings from the planet. As an architect who creates these sustainable designs, how do you respond to this statement? Yeah, that's a tough one, Jay. I have to admit, because you're right. I mean, sustainability is used in, in so many different ways. In many ways, it's, it's really uh, overused, I, I, would, I would argue. So, you know, I, I try to break it down through definition, really, to sustain is to remain. 
uh, indigenous people all around the planet have done a pretty good job in living sustainably, right? With earth shelters, using, you know, very little materials to create something, using need without overabundance, et cetera. So when I think about it in this concept, as I'm working through projects and first off, someone has to buy it. I either develop it myself or they need to buy into this idea of so-called sustainability. So when I think of it, I think through net zero concepts, you know, how to build something without taking away from the environment, or at least if you do, you know, giving it, giving back what I took. So again, you know, concepts that sound good on paper, but really tough to, to execute under the control of people that continue to suck the earth dry. That's as excellent an answer as you could have given me. I really appreciate that. And I knew that was a tough one, but I knew you could handle it. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We've all, we've had infinite discussions, God, regarding uh, developing self-sufficient autonomous communities. We've even referenced building Alexandria before the zombies come. Earlier, you alluded to, to, to Wakanda. Um, with so many of our people relocating to rural locations, how do we bridge the gap between living like our ancestors intended while still taking advantage of technological advancements? Yeah, so I mentioned net zero, and I, I really, um, I really uh, encourage everyone to just, just, just to look it up on their own. And net zero really says that I take nothing from the environment effectively with what I've built, and whatever I, and potentially whatever I did take, I can give it back. Meaning, if I need air conditioning, for example, the insulation in my home is so well that I only need to run it a a fraction of the time and then my room would stay cool, as an example, without giving anything up. And and all of that power that I use, I can effectively use the sun in order to generate that. And through that, create a particular aesthetic because now you're talking about a prefabricated wall that can create that level of insulation which comes in different colors and shapes and sizes and thicknesses, et cetera. Different types of windows that, that would also uh, assist with that. So there's a planning that goes into it, creating cohorts of, of people that are interested in programming something like that and really just taking the time to, to program, you know, a really good design, a really good master plan. Uh, you know, studying good design. Uh, Dr. Lila Africa, may he rest in power, uh, wrote a book called Per Unk which really talks through uh, indigenous gardening and with the ability to use gardening as a design tool to effectuate design in homes and design in buildings, which is pretty dope. Uh, feng shui, I think, is what the Chinese call it. So something very similar in terms of using your north, south, east, west nodes uh, to place certain elements uh, to, to facilitate uh, uh, you know, spiritual power uh, within your dwelling, within your business. So... I would tell everyone to think about the end game in conjunction with, with the here and now. Uh, for instance, the hut, the idea of the hut or the African hut really came from destruction of those civilizations. It came from a people that were consistently on the run and had to pop up certain structures really quickly and sustain that for a certain period of time. And it's become now an aesthetic. Uh, so we, we must design with, with purpose, you know, and that's fallout shelters, bug out, security, aesthetic beauty, you know, and, and, and function essentially, you know, from sun up to, to sundown. 
I'm so enjoying this show. I'm sorry, y'all. This, this is amazing. Um, uh, you kind of touched on some principles, but I, I'm just going to have you take it a step further with this question. If you could be the architect of an ideal utopia for Aboriginal Americans, what would it look like? Oh uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a tough question, man. Because I, I I morph that question morphs in my mind. Um, you know, I would say every six months, every year. I mean, the first thing I think about is uh, Magneto and Professor X, right? The X Men. And um, for a long time, I used to think that I was Professor X in, in many ways, you know, for multiple reasons. But you know, I would say more recently, I believe that actually I'm Magneto. You know, and Magneto imagined mutants running things without ever second guessing their capability, especially when it's, it was up against another people. Uh, so the, 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 the best person that I can point to with that being said is Imhotep, which was, a, was an architect uh, during the dynastic periods in, in Kemet. So 18th my, dynasty, right? To my knowledge, that was the 18th. Yeah. My analysis it was. I know there's probably some comedic uh, buffs on here that 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 could correct us if we're wrong, but what what he did was just absolutely amazing with with the sun, with the with with cosmology, with sound chambers, the healing aqueduct, and the beauty was everywhere. Commerce was was flowing. So that, but during that time, what what a lot of people don't talk about is that they were they were under threat. From, from the Mediterranean, from Europeans, right? From, from Asians. So they had to protect it. So we, we have to always keep that aspect in mind that our utopia is idea, ideal only if we can protect it. Yeah, you're giving me flashbacks of uh, the destruction of black civilization by chance. No doubt. Means. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everyone has probably read that book, even 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 though we're definitely you know all about that Aboriginal American. A lot of people got a foundation with that particular book. Um, I want to say uh, for preppers. Oh, and before I go any further, you you mentioned a reference to X Men about feeling more like Magneto. I, I feel like Wolverine. Yeah, I think that would be a, that, that would be uh that would be probably uh that would probably be a good uh a good analogy. Me and the God Power Tune was talking about that yesterday. I, I, I'm definitely if he, anybody in this room that knows me personally, I'm I'm still I'm, I'm like Wolverine in that that movie when because you know I'm new to the tribe, so you know I'm like he was new to X Men. He was trying to learn how to how to uh, how to harness that that energy. So you know y'all be patient with. No, <laughs> Jay. Jay, yeah, we all yeah. know that we all know that Magneto should have flipped Wolverine a long time ago, man. We all know that. Seriously, seriously yeah. though, because 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 I, I, it's funny you you mentioned Magneto because I was just having that conversation a while back. I was like, man, I think it was the uh, the, the movie of. Uh, uh, Legends of something past or something, yeah, and w- yeah. when they went back in time, and I was like, yeah. you know what, man, we had Magneto all wrong. Yeah, like Magneto. I think I had a conversation with one of was Job Bricks. I had with somebody, and he was like that. You know, uh, MLK was like Professor X because he wanted to integrate, and it's like Professor X wanted to integrate with the with the uh, the, the the humans or whatever. And, and then uh, you know, Magneto was like, you know, man, hell with them. You know what I mean? But anyway, don't get me started because I don't I don't want to get off topic. I, you know, I got I got to stick to the script. No doubt. 
But preppers like the people in this room who are trying to remove themselves from the U.S. corporation, how do we raise the collective capital to build infrastructures uh, without forfeiting our sovereignty? Uh, that's, that's great, man. So, you know, first thing I'll say is, um, you know, development and a pro forma go hand in hand. So we, we can't be afraid to leverage other people's money. And right now, there's tax credits, there's grants, there's sustainable design money. There is always hard money with banks, credit unions. Uh, it's you know I would limit them, of course, but it's still, it still it should never go off to the table. Uh, and, and always have an exit plan to to pay that back. So I would find ways to mobilize hood money. You know, the hood. You know, you got we got to remember our history tells us that numbers runners back in the day bankrupt the civil rights movement in many ways, right? And those were so-called illegitimate businesses. Uh, we got to keep that in mind. You know, gangsters were a part of that. You know, the Jews and Italians they did it too. I mean, bumpy Johnson, baby. That's right, exactly, right. Um, I think we should look at you know REIT, you know RIT, you know which is you know real estate investment trust. I know we talked you talked a bit about Jay Morrison, uh, however. I, you know, whether anyone likes them or they don't, I would still check out the, the use of building capital and then use it for, for a positive, uh, you know, just to show how, how money was raised uh, in Atlanta specifically. Uh, crowdfunding for real estate has come a long way. I would, I would punch up, you know, 12 best crowdfunding real estate sites uh, in 2021 uh, because there's tons of ways to raise bread from, from, from anonymous people as well that are interested in doing certain projects. And for preppers, you know, that always implies, you know, uh, you know, that that preppers don't want too much exposure. And I get that. I really do. Um, however, I would contend that that private corporations use similar means and keep what they what they're up to hidden in plain sight. So I, I think we can we can take note of that and still parlay some of this bread that's out here and build what we need to build. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, we aren't at the point yet where we have deep enough pockets to bankroll large developments. And even if we did. Um, we could put that bread to better use, like other investments, recreation, research, and development, which, you know, R&D, which we, we desperately need. And I'm going to segue from that response to this. In your opinion, can people truly live off the grid, live off the grid during modern times without living like the Amish? <laughs> Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Oh, man. Um, yes. So, you know, I, I, so part of my answer was above was, you know, my net zero answer uh, sort of addressed that. Uh, net zero projects are also in urban environments as well. There's, there's people that, that technically live off the grid, you live off the grid in the meaning that they aren't dependent upon it. As in, if it fails, they still have a home that can produce and provide what they need to live uh, a good life. So I should put it that way. So it doesn't always necessarily mean you're in a rural environment. It doesn't mean you're in the suburbs. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in the city. It can happen in, in many places if it's built accurately. So I used to, the, I would use the Amish personally as a great precedent because uh, they're living in plain sight with land, with culture, politics, the ability to sustain themselves through manufacturing, furniture and jewelry, textiles and homes, agriculture, etc. You know, before I before I became a vegan, I ate tiny those little tiny Amish chickens. So, uh, uh, yeah, you, you definitely need to use them as I would say as a precedent. Um, but it's got to be for us and our taste of right in a healthy way. The way we dance, the way we entertain, the, what we eat in terms of food and labor, etc. 
You know, remember, our children will take this further and put their own spin on it down the line. We were made, you know, we're, we're created and made to be right now type of people, very emotive, very far right brain. So we could stand to move back, you know, I would say a bit to the left, if not far left in a sense, you know, and picture where we want to be in 500 years. You know, that's how long, you know, the, the great Dr. Africa, for example, in, a, in an interview said it would take uh, for us to dominate our own trajectory. So we have to ask ourselves what we need to create today for them, to our people, our, our babies, to take it further. And I just read something about J.P. Morgan, man. His, his father was, was a bank baron born in like 1813. And I bet you there's people on this call that has a Chase account to this day. And I would also, if you think through the Jews, what were they? The Warner Brothers, right? They, they officially started in the early 1900s. And there's not a movie you can watch right now that doesn't have their, their little, you know, twisted W, you know, B on, right? So, you know, be comfortable knowing that we won't be here physically, but living, you know, but living on in the wind and in the spirit and the zeitgeist of, of the future is just what we, what we really need to, to think through and be about. It's all facts, man. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Everything that we're doing today is not only for our current offspring, it's for our great, great grandchildren. And we need to think along those lines. Guy, thank you, guys. You did a, an excellent job. Do I have any member of the audience? I appreciate you that has a, has a specific uh, question for the guy. Anyone? Uh, all right. I don't see any hands raised. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out to join us out of your very busy schedule. Uh, how can a member of the audience um, get in contact uh, with you and your firm? Oh, no, I appreciate that. So uh, one simple way is to use uh, email address, and that email address is D as in Delta Dickerson, Dickerson as in the football player, Eric Dickerson at Design. Dot com and dokes is d-o-k-e-s design d-e-s-i-g-n or hit me up on facebook uh under my indigenous name kai k-h-a-i-l-w she amaru and i'll be happy to field any questions talk through architecture and assist where i can thank you so much do you have uh do you have a moment to stick around uh, after the last interview for uh, a little powwow open forum discussion Sure. Yep. I, I set aside about 30 minutes to do something, brother. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you. Back. All right. For our last guest on the Sovereign Creed show, we discussed Aboriginal entrepreneurship with energy personified. Do the rich people cringe and say, don't tell them that, Rob? Yes, yes, yes. Don't tell people what, they, what you know. Right. Keep them poor. My father was the head of education, PhD, all that stuff. I go home and ask him, said, why don't we learn about money in school? And he looked at me and says, because the government doesn't let us teach that subject. The government tells us what we can teach and what we can't teach. And I thought that was strange. And I said, but aren't we going to school to learn about money? He says, no, your job is to get a job. I said, but you get a job to earn money. He goes, no, you're supposed to just get a job. I went, no, 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 no. Isn't the purpose of a job to earn money? He goes, you're correct. I said, so why don't I just learn about money? I can skip the job part, you know? 
And he got flustered and he said, if you want to learn about money, why don't you ask your best friend's father about money? And I said, why? That's Mike. So I asked him. He says, because Mike's father is an entrepreneur. And I said, what, am, what are you? He says, I'm an employee. I'm a government employee. And I went, oh, what's the difference? He says, the difference is an entrepreneur must know about money. Or that they're no longer entrepreneurs. And he says, an employee doesn't have to know anything about money. Because the government will take care of them, the company will take care of them. So I'm kid, I'm all confused. But I took my dad's advice and I trundled over to Mike's father's office and knocked on his door and I said, hey, I'm here, nine years old, teach me about money. He says, beat it, kid, you know. But that's where the story of Rich Dad, Poor Dad started. And finally, through persistence, my rich dad started teaching me about money on one condition. And that condition was he would never pay me. He says, the moment I pay you, you think like an employee. He says, that's the trap. Entrepreneurs work for free. And now I'm nine years old, my head's going cracking in half. He says, you never want a paycheck. You understand that, kid? I said, okay, I got it. And he says, well, how do I make money? He says, that's what entrepreneurs figure out. <laughs> it's like, so how do I learn about money? So he would just break out a Monopoly game board. So I would work for free. I'd pick up cigarette butts and get hotels and restaurants and I would clean and do menial tasks. And as I got older, I started getting into office work and marketing and accounting. And I was an apprentice basically, but I always worked for free. And he would teach me about money. But the way he taught me about money was playing Monopoly. And I finally, one day, I got upset. I said, well, when are you going to teach me about money? He says, what do you think we're doing? <laughs> we're playing Monopoly. He goes, no, 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 no. What do you think we're doing? We're playing Monopoly. He says, what do you think we're doing? So I don't know. I'm teaching about money. Energy personified is the epitome of an aboriginal entrepreneur. At the ripe age of 29 years old, he and his partners already own three thriving enterprises, which include solar development, plant-based and wellness tribal organization, Alkaline Bodies, and food truck, Boss Burger. He currently specializes in sales, marketing, research and development, financial incentives, networking, lead generation, distribution, and community relations. As natives of Baltimore City, Energy and its formidable unit commit their spare time giving back to their community by educating melanated Baltimore area and DMV residents of the importance of indigenous nationality, optimum nutrition, and ownership. A national of the Aboriginal Republic of North America, Energy graduated cum laude with a mass communications degree from Benedict, Benedict College. He is a stable economic aficionado, to say the least. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Energy Personified. Peace, God. Peace, gods and goddesses on the call. Appreciate you for that wonderful bio, man. Thank you for the flowers. Oh, man, absolutely, absolutely. And I also um, wanted to mention that um, uh, his uh, team, your team has created a a Be More Free organization which houses the Juneteenth celebration uh, there in Baltimore. Uh, it's going on your uh, third annual celebration, correct? Yes, sir. This summer will be the team's third annual celebration here in Baltimore City. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, I've been looking forward to this interview ever since we first spoke. I mean, in fact, we've been having some pretty intergalactic builds uh, regarding many of the topics that we are going to discuss. So before we get into that part, I first have to say that the unity and camaraderie that I uh, feel with your Be More tribe is infectious and contagious. I mean, forgive me if, if I don't know everybody in your crew's tribal names yet, but everyone that I've met and had an opportunity to meet in person from you to Nev, or Mike, uh, Jasmine has, has thoroughly impressed me. Uh, that includes people in your crew who I've built relationships recently uh, on social media. Most of all of you are currently in this room right now as I'm, I'm looking in. Um, I appreciate your support. Uh, kudos to all of you for embodying what Arna is all about, um, family and nation building. And uh, I just want to say that I, I left Be More uh, for good in uh, 98 uh, to go away to college. And I've only come back to visit three times since I left. And the last time I came back was, I was 2006, 15 years ago, uh, going on 16. So you guys have uh, me ready to come back and visit more often. Uh, wifey and my little guy need to see my old stomping grounds that molded me into the person um, that I've become today. So if uh, this is your first time with us, I want to formally welcome you to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. Thank you for bringing us out, man. Especially everybody that's from this side of the country. We miss you out here. Come back and bring them babies so we can see them. Oh, Get them absolutely. on the coast of this side of the town. I'm oh, going yeah. past Dunbar right now. Um, actually, uh, my alma mater. And, mm-hmm. you know. Poets. The poets. No, about Yes, the poets. sir. The Dunbar poets, the best poets, too, because those people in D.C. will tell you that they're the best school, but we definitely the best Dunbar poets out there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Before but, we get uh, down to. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I did want to say before I, um, before we got started, uh, I enjoyed everybody speaking today. T, Kai, uh, the mayor as well. But boy, when Kai was talking, I was over here like a football player, like, woo! <laughs> you right you and me both. He had me hyped. Man, that's that's a, that's just a regular conversation for me and Kai, man. We we get it in, man. Uh, he's consistent with that. Uh, I, I, when I said that he's one of the smartest people I know, I'm sure by the time his interview was over, people could kind of understand where I was coming from. But before we get down to business, um, I have to say that I absolutely love your name all the way down to the spelling. Now, I have to ask you, God, what went into the process of you selecting that? Cool. So, um, Energy Personified was my name on social media about four to five months, probably right before I actually went tribal. And the thought process was that as a kid, one of the uh, words, and it's funny, me and Slim talked about this often, it was one of the words that stuck out to him as a kid as well, personification. I learned the word maybe in like third and fourth grade at Roland Park Elementary here in Baltimore. And it just always stuck with me. Uh, something that isn't alive that you're giving life to or you're, you're metaphorically giving life to always stuck with me in the different examples of how we would personify things in school when they were teaching it to us. So that just stuck with me throughout life. And um, energy, just playing with words and just dealing with the solar portion of our company. I was sitting in my solar training class a couple years ago and I'm learning about Ohm's law and how electricity works. And I'm like, damn, this is God body stuff. This is, this is real mathematics. This is life. This is everyday life energy. And it just stuck with me as well. 
So one day, man, I was, uh, you know, just going over a lot of the tribal. Uh, I think I was reading the protocol manual, just getting ready to actually cross. And I'm trying to think of what would I name myself. And they were telling me I could name myself whatever I wanted to name myself the whole time. And I didn't believe it. And so I actually got to a summit. And uh, the actual um, jurist was like, man, you can name yourself whatever you want. I'm like, cool. I already know what name makes sense. Energy personified. That's what's up. That is what's up. I love it. I see that you are a graduate of Benedict College. That's a long way from Dunbar High School. I also know that it's uh, it's like spending your teenage years in the Baltimore area that uh, then spending your college years in Columbia, South Carolina, a.k.a. the Met. Me, I, I lasted all of three semesters on the University of South Carolina's campus before I was kicked out because of grades of when I was, wasn't at the football facility at williams Bryce Stadium, I spent far too much time in either the Russell House or playing freeze tag at all the girls' dorm rooms. <laughs> I know about the Russell House. Yeah. So uh, you graduated cum laude, which means you actually went to class, though. So um, how was that transition from Charm City to the Met? Uh, when I first got down there, bro, in South Carolina, it was hard. It was really hard, actually. I went down there with one of my best friends growing up. Um, he went to Dunbar with me. He wasn't qualified for football yet, so um, he naturally just went down there with me first, and he was going to trial in the spring, so that helped. But the culture shock to the racism that I was exposed to, um, like the outward racism, like the white people, you trying to cross the street, they, they speed up their cars type of racism. Or um, I had an internship at NPR Radio, uh, my manager, I never had a day that my manager actually spoke to me because she didn't like black people. It was outward and clear um, at that division of NPR. She didn't like black people, but I was there for a college internship, so she had to deal with me. My supervisor was cool, but she didn't deal with me, so I was going to do those things. And, you know, you come from Baltimore and you play football your whole life and you come from a certain city, then you go to the straight country which they think is a city. And I'm like, man, this ain't no city. It's super slow. I know, like, right? <laughs> You've been crazy, man, because it's surrounded by nothing but, like, country, like, towns, but they call it the Met. I'm like, the Met? This yeah, like, what's like, Metro like, around like, here? Like, like, like Metro? <laughs> <laughs> I swear, but I didn't know what that, one of the biggest clubs around there was called the Met. And I didn't really get it. I'm like, what? This, this don't, and I'm in the, the, uh, the, the capital of South Carolina at the time. So it, it just was a big culture shock for me um, coming from Baltimore. And I had to really get used to it. And I didn't actually take school seriously. I was actually struggling in school as well. My first two years, I didn't take school seriously until I had a teacher pull me to a side uh, one time and ask me to the point that you just said, you're from Baltimore City. You're a long way from home. You play football. I get that. But what do you really want to do with your life? What do you want to do? And it was, that was the first time in my life as a young black man that I haven't had somebody ask me, what do I like to do and what do I want to do? And then she also told me, it's okay if I didn't know. And then told me, go back to my room and write all the things that I like about myself and the things that I dislike. And it was from that day on that I started to take school series. I dressed up every day. Literally, anybody that know me from Benedict College know that every day for the next two years, I dressed up every day. Literally, didn't miss a day. And I played ball. And I told everybody I was going to get a job for the NFL before I finished. I almost finished and got the job for the North Carolina Panthers um, hit uh, editorial job. I just missed it, and they referenced me for the Baltimore Ravens, and I got that job. But it just was an um, assistant PR job. So 
that led me back home. Wow, that's what's up. I, I, I used to live right down the street from the Ravens practice facility right there in Owens Mill. Oh yeah, you take them, man. This is this is oh wow, this is crazy. Um, as I mentioned in your bio, you have a very formidable group. How did you all meet, and how did you first find out about Arnie? Yeah, that's my favorite part, bro. Um, my 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 tribe, my group is the sum of who I am. I'm, I'm literally nothing, and all who I am is bits and pieces of who they are. Um, me and Nez been childhood friends. I moved out into his neighborhood uh, when I went to middle school out there. Uh, we ended up meeting around that time. Nez was younger than me, always been a brilliant young kid, but I really watched him like be bullied his whole life, and I always respected him because he was smart, and he did never let anybody bother him. And he was in karate, and people didn't know that until they would bully him, and he would beat him up every time. <laughs> and that just stuck with me my whole life. So, like, when I got back home from college, me and Nev got really close. Naturally, everybody else that's kind of in the group are, like, mutual friends of me and Neville from, like, childhood up till now. Uh, Slim, Dom, uh, Jasmine, uh, Wanima, excuse me, uh, Slim, which is Damian Ward from His Name in the Tribe, and Dom, which is Logic, and Nev, Nev Hayil. We've all our mutual friends of friends since we've been middle school and up. So just once we got to the tribe, naturally having the tribal mentality from Aboriginal Republic of North America, we were already around these friends and families. And it just made it a little bit easier for them to be able to see what we were doing with our 1%, our small group, Ned, me, Slim, and Dom. And that branched out into the Jazzes and the Biancas. They, we were all already friends, but it allowed us another platform to be able to utilize our talent differently. And, you know, naturally we just started to get good with being in our own spaces and what we do good and supporting each other, I think is the biggest thing. Um, once we were able to find ourselves, which is an every evolving thing, but we were able to hone on our talent that allowed us to be able to have enough time to support each other differently. However, we needed that support. Um, I'm extremely, extremely proud of y'all, man, for real. Um, as I alluded to previously, you grew up in the Charm City, a.k.a. the Big Crab Cake. You know, man, I'm Big Crab Cake, man. Damn. <laughs> man, I think that was the, it was, that was the hardest thing for me to give up, man. Like, everything with the carbon base, uh, she was like, can't eat mushrooms no more? It's like, cool, cool, cool. Can't eat this no more? Cool, cool, cool. But then it was like, no more crab. I was like, so you know what I'm from? Do you know what you're telling me right now? And <laughs> yeah, I can't have a lot. crab cake again? Are you crazy? <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, y'all, forgive me. I'll just have, uh, give me a moment. Um, whew, okay, yes. How does a kid from East Baltimore get involved in solar panel development? By the grace of whatever you believe in, God, <laughs> tribal mentality, ancestry, to be honest with you, um, and y'all, it was literally um, something that I think really was ordained higher uh, for us because we really had no clue about solar. Uh, me and Nev were meeting when I was coming home from college to talk about what we were going to try to build with each other. We always know, knew we wanted to do business with each other, but we didn't know how. And naturally, um, Nev came up with a savings plan that he was vetting. And we met our mentor, uh, Mr. Lloyd Wynn, in the projects here in Baltimore, in Douglas Homes. 
and we were at the same meeting that he was at that time pitching our savings plan and our business. And he liked our idea. He liked our acumen. And he told us that um, if we trusted him and we sat down with him and tried to study with him, he would open and put a lot of our ideas on steroids. Um, little did we know, this would be our mentor that would lead us into the solar marketing field. We sat down with him for probably six months into a, um, into a park in Western Baltimore, and we just studied markets for six months. A lot of you know, just various markets, all types of markets. And solar just kept popping up as far as statistics shown that as far as the markets in each state, no one was really doing much urban solar. It was a lot of utility grade solar. Even like spaceships were putting solar on them, but nothing major. So we wanted to see how we can get in the manufacturing portion of the business. So we started calling around. Um, we found that America only had three manufacturing solar panels. Uh, businesses. There's a lot of things that manufacture small applications that you all may see, like cell phones, chargers, things that go on tents, little things like that. There's a lot of business that manufacture those things, but not full panels. So we had to look internationally. So I learned from this guy, like a lot of what Kai was talking about through that six months about OPM, other people's money. Uh, other types of ways of financing projects, rather real estate, rather crowdfunding, um, rather it was getting the solar business like we have now, I learned a lot of different ways to be able to leverage the knowledge I knew without having any money, which is which was crazy about the excerpt that you played before this. So natu naturally, we're just calling. Mind you, I'm 21 years old. Like you said, graduate of Dunbar High School in East Baltimore, in the middle of East Baltimore. I'm just calling people and I'm getting hung up on, banged on, laughed at, joked up, all type of stuff from each end, my family and the people that I'm talking to. But naturally what happened was a lot of these businesses internationally, they were hearing us out because they understood that the black people in America are pretty much the biggest population in each major city. And all of their plans were trying to get manufacturing plants in these urban cities because they knew a lot of factories back in the day was empty. And most American companies, this is known internationally, have their factories internationally. They don't actually have their companies, their factories that is, in America. They'll go to Mexico or Canada or India, wherever they can, to then ship these things in. Because it's cheaper a lot of times. So we just were on the phone, man, and going through those conversations, we met Navitas in India, who actually has a CEO that was my age at the time. But all the board members and the COO and people who ran the money were all old heads. So we all had an understanding of each other. I had a, a mentor. He had a mentor. He was young. I was young. But they already have an international major manufacturing plant going on over there. So they gave us a contract that essentially... They only own the technology in the sense of that's the minority, that's a 10%, because they make their own solar cells. I am from East Baltimore. I don't know how to create a solar cell. I didn't go to school for STEM and technology. I went to school for Matt Tom, as he said. I just was vetting an idea. But with that 10% of their technology, I can then create, um, not I, our team, and we'll talk about how you all can be a part of this as well, we could build urban manufacturing solar plants 
in all 50 states if we wanted to, but we didn't wouldn't want to do that because the market, but we could build this and replicate these manufacturing plants in urban cities all across this country. And we will be the owners of the manufacturing plants. We will be the owners of the energy. And we'll be able to do a lot of different things that way. But that's how we got involved. Uh, I got to rephrase this next question because we're going to talk about the investment opportunities at the end. But so what I'll just ask you is uh, what specific services does, and, and, and correct me, so how do I, am I pronouncing this? Is it Navitas, Navitas, how do you, how do you pronounce it? It's Navitas. Navitas in India, Indian um, language is actually in it. Okay. Oh, look at you. So what specific services does Navitas Solar currently offer? Right now we have the ability to be able to put solar panels on your residential rooftop home. If you're interested in getting savings at your house or net zero projects at your home, like Kyle was saying, you don't have to be off grid to be able to be off grid at your home. Um, that's just as simple as getting battery packs. We have lithium battery packs, which are even uh, more energy efficient as well. And we have generators at our company as well. So we are fully prepared to have you uh, working sustainable energy all at your home without any grid electricity. Whether you need any of those applications from the house to commercial properties as well. If you have a business that you own, we have services that we could provide you that same application, but for no money up front. Most cities have what's called the Property Assessed Clean Energy Program that allows a contractor like me to come to your city and put solar, roofing, HVAC systems, anything to build up an actual building commercially, I can come to your building and put that in there for no cost to you up front. So that's one of our services. And lastly, uh, we do microgrids, which is if a university, um, a, a farm, a hospital, a church, someone that uses a lot of energy, even a group of people who may want to be a energy owner or energy company, a third party, they would come together and create a microgrid, which consists of solar power, it consists of a generator to generate energy and battery power to store that energy. A hospital would do this so that when they have power outages like we just had with the vaccines during this pandemic, they won't actually have to deal with an outage so they can keep everything cold or keep the hospital up and running and save lives, things of that nature. Churches can be facilities that we go to when there are hurricanes or big schools in Baltimore City and surrounding other cities. We have a lot of schools that close in our urban cities, but they open up all these other schools and these private schools without any issues. In Baltimore, if we were able to implement these type of systems on our schools, we'll be able to not only reinvest that money back into teachers, but we'll be able to reinvest it into the HVAC systems that my city has a $5 billion maintenance backlog on right now, meaning they own they owe five billion dollars 
and HVAC systems, bad roofing, things of that nature. All this can be taken care of with the services that we provide at Navita Solar for no money up front. Mm. Mm. Wow. Your HEMP program, which stands for Health, Entrepreneurship, Manufacturing, and Production, has effectively checked off several boxes for the Aboriginal community. Uh, your program, which begins at age 10, offers health and entrepreneurship courses, meal plans, detoxes, and competitive work opportunities. How did this program come about? Cool, man. Yeah, thank you. You really did your research, Brody. <laughs> the hemp oh, program. Oh, oh, we go hard here. Yeah, yeah. No lie. No lie. I see. So the hemp program actually started, um, again, Nev, Jack and Diamond, uh, being the creative uh, guy in our group. He always wanted to focus on the hemp plant. We are a plant-based organization that focus on information and provided people the information and alignment that they need, whether that's um, products, whether that's sustainable energy, uh, whether that's the nationality. We're providing that information, right? Hemp was one of the most high-carbonated high plants that uh, we were researching, and it could also be used from everything to um, housing, down to clothes and anybody that follows our groups what we try to do is we try to find ownership for natural resources um, rather that the water that we actually have or that the solar energy business we're trying to find different markets to replicate that can be or provide longevity for our people or our tribe so the hip program and that being a high carbonated plant and a usable plant, we wanted to implement a program that we could use it as an acronym while also teach people about the, the uh, nutrition of the plant as well. The same way we do with the water bottle by giving them the nutritional water, but also giving their mind something to think about with the drip name being Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Hemp does the same purpose. So it allows us to go to schools. Um, homes, we've been everywhere from elementary schools, high schools, to people's houses, to creating our own events focused around uh, bio scans, teaching kids about the importance of colors in their food, um, how the body works um, in relation to those colors, and bringing just that consciousness to the family and bringing the family together. That's what all our products are about, getting into the home and bringing the home closer together. So hemp is just another way that we utilize um, health, the ability to start a business through entrepreneurship and tribalism, manufacturing, and creating something from your mind and having ownership, and then production and scaling it out. But also job production goes into that as well. Anything you create should have something in mind that of your family or the people around you and your community should benefit from it. Rather, it's from tax credits, rather it's them from getting a job or them being able to build a business based off of the things you have created should be the platform that we start our foundation off of. That's what hemp is about. Have you thought about <clears throat> expanding chapters to different regions of the country? I think this is a conversation that I definitely want to have with you uh, off there because I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed from what I read uh, online 
mean, what you just uh, elaborated on, yeah, we definitely need to have a build on this very soon. Yes, sir. So it is it's twofold. We had, as far as HIP is concerned, we actually just applied uh, for a grant that we're looking to reach out to a lot of people in the tribe um, to be able to be housing these programs and running them with the information we all naturally get from the tribe, but also through you all's businesses that you run and the information, or even if you don't run a business, if you work in a certain field that is inform- informative and you can align our kids with this information, with the things that they're interested in, it's all about having people that look like us and putting them in front of the young kids and also parents because parents need to get education as well. Learning is an ever evolving thing. So we're creating business and programs to be able to replicate ourselves in these various regions. So yes, if you are a part of the tribe, if you're not, you're just on this call and you're interested about green space and gardening, we can teach you how to get that money. That was a part of our training. Understand that when you're working in the land of sustainability and development, you don't have to be certified in anything. these things. These are businesses and ways that you can make money that you just make money off of your knowledge. I got paid two years ago off of a solar job that all I did was put two people together. And then naturally, the one lady works for a um, sustainable organization, the Baltimore People's Climate Movement. That got me another check by being a trainer. So, like, mind you, again, I never went to school for any of these things. I'm just studying, and I'm becoming knowledgeable about them. So I can train you, wherever you are, on how to build a green space or how to get solar for a university or how to just get healthy and what to eat and what not to eat or how to get a part of the tribe. These are all open for you. You just want to contact us at any of our platforms. The other thing I want to add to this conversation, unless you already got a question for me, is we are starting, as the brother Todd talked about, and you did a little bit, Jay, like Jay Morrison started a what's called a Regulation A-plus fund. This is a specific way that you crowdfund that Obama did for us in 2015 when he signed the Jobs Act, which means jumpstart our business, well, excuse me, jumpstart our small businesses. It was an acronym as well. The point of me saying that is those type of funds allow you all here to become part owners of anything that we come up together as a group to say that we want to invest in. If we want to be the black bank, this is how we do it. We raise this 50 million together across the country and we invest that money into small businesses. We invest that money into real estate. Like you said, real estate investment funds, a lot of real estate investment funds, that used to do those type of investments are now doing regulation A plus because they can raise more money now. Before you can only raise three to five million going public. Now you can raise the fifty million. So what people like Jay Morrison did was he raised twelve million in one month with no plan. We on the phone right now with a mayor of Tulsa with an architect and People are part of the tribe, and we know how to get non-tax money and someone who can provide solar and water for us. So there's no reason why we can't start one of these funds and vet the process the same way that he did and raise the whole $50 because he did $12 million with no plan. So mechanisms like these, yeah, they're under the SEC. Yeah, that's white-owned. 
However, there are mechanisms that are already placed in front of us that have private sector funds that we would run and we would be able to commission it wherever we want to. We just got to trust each other and put the money into the pot. So we are starting our own regulation aid fund that you all can be a part of. If you want to be a part owner of this solar company that I'm talking about, which could range all across this country, this is how you do it. If you have an idea that you would like to be a part of that same fund, a t-shirt company, or you got a a 3D printer idea that you want to actually get invested into, we could do this project together and buy up the block in Detroit, Baltimore, Atlanta, wherever we choose. Because $50 million is a lot of money for these projects, and we can do that yearly. So we're starting one, and I'm opening the floor for anybody who's interested in the type of things we talked about today in nation building and community building, but us having full control. We do that through a regulation A-plus fund. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to talk. <laughs> Actually, uh, I created a uh, the Tribal Economics Instagram page. That that platform was actually uh, created for something specific uh, to this. We want to have like a like an alliance of like-minded energies who uh, come into a common goal, like a powernomics goal. You know, hence the word Tribal Economics. But yeah, we're going to talk more in depth about both the hemp program and the regulation fund and I'm going to talk to Kai more in depth about the REIT so yeah we, we definitely need a uh, we need to be having some some uh, internal powwows um, frequently uh, through your alkaline bodies organization you offer your own brand of alkaline spring water I believe you said it's 8.1 to 8.2 pH I remember uh, that educates customers on the declaration of rights for indigenous peoples. That's the drip that you have on the label. What inspired this brilliant, brilliant idea and how can we purchase your water? Peace God, did you guess that? Oh, I'm sorry, I uh, still was on mute. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, drip came from us. Just like we were already researching the actual document, document, right? And anybody that has time and you haven't heard about this document, please look up the Declaration of Rights on Indigenous Peoples. We were just studying the document, and it was funny because we were just throwing out names. We already knew that we wanted to do a water company because it was a good marketing idea, as far as like a business card. What can we hand out to people that they can take with them and just use as like brand recognition? Water. But we were also like, we wanted to utilize a a name that would be profound. And we were just throwing names back and forth with each other. And around that time, mind you, we started this water in 2016. Some of our first customers were actually getting this water back then. We just had some issues about um, the manufacturing plant and how we would distribute the water at that time. So it took some years for us to get it together. But back then, this was like before people were even really like talking about like dripping clothes and dripping all the different songs. But it was, it, you know, people would use, use the term. And it was just sitting at the table and we just started thinking about the acronyms back again from the Jobs Act, from HEMP, 
just trying to stick with the acronyms as talk pieces for people. We looked up DRIP and we found Declaration of Rights on Indigenous People through that. We had already read the document before, but we didn't know that they were using the same acronym. If you look up this document anytime, it'll be an acronym of UN DRIP or just DRIP. And it just was perfect. So the fella just is like, man, this this is this is again, this is ordained for us. We were already thinking it, but it was like it was perfect once we started to get into the research. It just fit. That wasn't something we did purposely. We just started looking into Drip and who else used Drip as a company. And then naturally we found the Declaration of Rights of Independence document that we had already read, but it was we never knew it was an acronym that way. And it just stuck. One more thing I want to throw in there about that water is our water is an internationally award-winning water. A lot of people ask how. Uh, the water plant is a family farm, and we get the water from a well. This family farm used to be owned by a famous uh, slave owner, Charles Calvert, here in Maryland. He had horses on the land. The family that we bought it from is an Irish family. They bought it just because he had beautiful horses on the land. They didn't know that he had a well in the back of the actual farm that uh, it pumped anywhere from five to 50 tons of water per year. And it's a natural aquifer with grade A water. They got it tested and they started um, comp- comp- competing in what's called the Berkeley Springs International Competition from the 80s up until that last competition, 2003. Ever since then, they won that competition um, eight times for best international water. And this is an international conversation. I mean, international competition. They just stopped um, actually competing because these brothers are 93 and 96. And one of them actually just passed away. So um, that was just from meeting them through a solar deal that we worked out with them and meeting his family and learning about the water and talking through the business throwing out names and the research, everything just fit all together. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Be more stand up. <laughs> you got me over here with my chest stuck out. Boy. <laughs> the food industry can be a brutal business if you lack the proper strategic marketing plan. What inspired you and your crew to create your own food truck? So the food truck portion of this our story really came through. Again, all of it is tribalism and building uh, with a group of people. A lot of people see us moving as four, and I think they really appreciate us moving as a group. So when we meet these various different individuals or groups, we are able to build really quickly off of just that platform. So our partner, Eva, uh, we met her through one of my like best and earliest childhood friends, Bianca, at a wine bar that she manages. And um, she heard about our food, and she really wanted to try it, and she had some ideas of her own. So she reached out to us and was like, man, I'm going to come through, and I'm going to try to try your food. Let's just have a day where I'm going to cook some of my ideas, and you cook some of your ideas. And we all just cooked our food, and we shared, and we sat down, and we didn't eat none of her meat because none of us eat meat. But we had other people come through and cook the food. And surprisingly, everybody loved the plant-based food, like, off the chart. Everybody loved the burgers, too. But everybody's like, yo, this plant-based food is really, really good. 
And naturally, it makes sense to be able to match for a full family experience, plant-based creative food and burgers with beef, turkey, grass-fed burgers so that the whole family can get a full experience. So um, we agreed that we would go into a partnership together. And um, naturally, we didn't really know what that would look like in the beginning, whether that would be a restaurant or a food truck. And um, we opened up last year right before the pandemic got really heavy on July 4th. And uh, we had already had been planning it probably about June, the previous year in 2019. So throughout this whole time, we've been watching the pandemic transpire. Long story short, we decided that a food truck would be smarter because me and Slim was already working in the kitchen every day. And we were seeing how the business was changing. So, um, she was the biggest investor and in on the pro on the project. So we like, I mean, hey, I think it's smarter for us to get a food truck and we can manage that a little bit better. And that worked out, man. We started on July fourth to start, took care of us. And every and if you pay attention to anything that we do, we, we always open up on solstices and things of that nature. Um, that's really important. Um those things worked out for us and a year later we said we was gonna have a restaurant, we got a restaurant. So now we uh, have Ross Burger Food Truck, and now we have a restaurant in Rossville. Quick question before I uh, go to the next one. Um, those vegan patties, are they carbon-based? Yes, sir. So outside of the menu um, are carbon-based and heirloom fruits and vegetables. So we have a jackfruit burger. Uh, we also have our garden burger, We have, which is just all vegetables. Um, we have our purple cabbage burger, purple specifically for the heirloom and to have the color and the more carbon in it so that you can get some nutrition out this cabbage versus the other options you all had. And that's really my favorite one as well. Um, the jackfruit, I already said, and I think that is, did I miss anything? Oh, so we do the carbon-based, not for the cauliflower, but that goes back to our roots of alkaline body in the sense of we want to be able to provide some type of cuisine and some type of information for those who are transitioning. And cauliflower presents um, the texture of when it's fried chicken for people. So we did bring in the cauliflower. And when we started, we were doing the multicolor, tricolor cauliflower instead but you all know how business so after a while that get really expensive for you so that side of it isn't more carbon based really we shouldn't be eating cauliflower at all but everything else yes sir to the teeth I'm hearing research and development I'm hearing strategic marketing plans I'm hearing man like are you this y'all I hope y'all taking notes man and research and development, that's one of the biggest things I did hear Kai touch on. Like, that's where the other people right now, or whoever you want to call them, they're, they're winning. Research and development as far as the technology realm, whether you're talking about broadband and the solar industry and sustainable energy, energy industry, whether you're talking about wind or solar, research and development is getting the biggest bag of money, and they're, they're being given to community organizations a lot of times or universities or organizations that can prove that they have institutions. So we don't even have to start building cities tomorrow. But what we can start asking for 
is research and development money not even just for us to get the funds to be able to do these things and learn how to do them but really focus our mind and learn community development from the eyes of the people who have overtaken our community uh we can do these things naturally better however you got to understand the lay of the land and that's the art of war and these people run these cities so the best way to do that is by putting our money into one big pocket but also utilizing these type of platforms to be able to get money that hasn't been given to us in the history uh, in our past history excuse me yeah, me and my wife don't even have, we're going to have to tap in with you for R&D, even for Simon Creek. We're bigger than just t-shirts and, and hoodies and obviously, you know, we got the podcast. We have much bigger things that we'd like to be involved in and we'll we definitely be tapping in with you. Man, look, I'm trying to create the Aboriginal Voltron. That's my objective. I know we were talking about X-Men earlier. I'm trying to create the Aboriginal Voltron. The, the, the R and the version, so we can, you know what I'm saying, like, come together on some, like, intergalactic, out of this world shit. Um, so for a recap, yeah, go ahead. And it's, it's, it's right at our hand between nationality, between building cities, STEM technology and the kids and getting this information back into our kids' minds because we are intelligent people. We are builders. We, we know science. We know the cosmos. We are spiritual people. Uh, we know how to build governance for each other. We just have to remember, put them things back together, rebuild them. So, like, the, it, it's all in front of us, family. It's just a matter of us sharing the research with each other and being open-minded, you know, to what, what, what's in front of us. But we got to make a move now and have ownership. That's what's important, ownership. Say it again. Dr. Kiyosaki broke it down in that video. He was like, you can either work for money, or you can work, you can make your money work. The, one of the most um, favorite things that I, I loved about this interview that, that we've conducted is the fact that you uh, accepted six months. You and Nev, uh, for free, was uh, kind, of, kind of like an internship, apprenticeship with that mentor. Is that the gentleman, uh, Mr. Wynn? He's the one that you said is an associate of Dr. Claude? Yes, sir. He used to run with Claude. And um, he used to run with Dr. Claude. He used to run with also um, Asa Hilliard. Actually, Mr. Hilliard, he always loved to show us the emails between him and Hilliard. Hilliard said he was going to be the next up or the biggest in financial game, which he really does a lot in finance. He's just one of those old heads that like to stay out the limelight. So he's right here in Baltimore City from New York, uh, New Jersey. Actually, is a mentor of Jay Morrison as well. Told him about the four-unit system that we all see on YouTube about him teaching and doing the corner class today. In 2017, me and Ned was sitting right in the room with him, Lloyd Wynn, I'm talking about Jay, that is, and um, Joshua here, who ran for mayor in 2018, all studying, studying the same stuff. That six-month period I was talking about. Priorities, people. We can be watching TV, we can be on Instagram all day. Instagram is a tool. If you're just on there for kicks and giggles, then you're missing the boat. You're supposed to find the like-minded individuals, use it as a tool. Uh, so for a recap, 
You operate a solar panel manufacturing company, a health and wellness company that educates, empowers, and nourishes the community. And you also have a food truck that serves healthy burger options. Look, I get it. You're 29. 29. Bro, do you sleep? Yes, very often. Yes, sir. Often, because I got a team that is amazing. And um, I got a tribe that's even more amazing. So these things allow me to write and allow me the responsibilities as well. So uh, when there's not time to work, there's time to rest. And anybody that's in my tribe, and if they still on this call, they know that I'm big on that. Like, when it's my time, it's my time. And that allows me to be rejuvenated and to be able to provide the energy in the different places. Doesn't always work easy because everybody don't understand all the different things that it takes to be able to do all these different markets and, you know, talk to all these different people and network and build all these different relationships. So it's definitely a dancing technique that um, we're always in, but it happens through the tribe. So I always encourage people, find your tribe, find your people um, that are like-minded, even those who may not be, um, but may be open-minded and may allow you to speak about your feelings, your thoughts and your dreams and you all exchange and you share because that's always going to duplicate you and that's always going to push you way further. So, um, yeah, I'm always going to say I'm the sum of my, my the people that I'm around and my rest and my rejuvenation comes from those same people. You know, see how powerful the knowledge itself and, and wisdom and, and application. And, you know, Mrs. Chris gentleman is 29. I didn't have my shit together at 29. I'm, shit, I barely had my shit together at 35, 36. And, and, and nah, I, I, I say 36. I started 50. Well, I do want to throw this out there, too. Like, a lot of people, like, yeah, we, we, we run businesses and things of that nature, but not only, like, it's not, like, hard in the sense of I know y'all all understand, like, the labor and work right more so it's hard in a sense like i don't have no money like people think i got bread and like things ain't easy for me or like i'm not riding around in a, a, a great car i don't drive at all currently you see what i'm saying like i go through the same struggles that a lot of people do however what my businesses allow for me is true what i believe is financial freedom like the, the excerpt said in the beginning, I wake up on my own time every day. Every dollar that I do make, I invest back into my businesses because they keep me going and they keep me making these opportunities. So whereas though, when I say I, I'm not a, I'm not hurting, I'm not in a bad situation. We are all, a, we are all great. We're amazing. But I'm great off the, the backs of my brothers and my sisters. So I got to wake up every day and work hard. That's really important. Like if I don't do that, I don't make a dollar. So, like, all my blessings come from working hard. And I always got to let people know that because it's like people see the businesses and they see these things and they're like, oh, Yo, you're so fortunate, bop, bop, bop. And it's like, you are fortunate, but you're only, your fortune is as good as your work. And it's only going to go as far as your work. So, like, that money and that, that I don't, I, I could have probably more. If I work differently, I don't miss because I enjoy the work. You see what I'm saying? So, so I'm missing out on a dollar here, a dollar there, because I'm always investing and always working a certain type of way. At the day that that money comes in, we got Boss Burger Baltimore, Boss Burger Vegas, Boss Burger Atlanta. Then you eating good. 
Then you got alkaline bodies in different chapters. That's when that comes. So I'd be wanting the people to understand that, like, like you, the more things you build, the more time that takes, the more money that takes. When you lose something, you may got to work harder to get back from these things. So just always work hard and don't let money slow you down. You can create anything with money or without it, or also you can also have a lot of assets. Be the owner of a lot of things. Have cash flow so that you'll never have to worry about where your bills or these things are going to come from and you can always bounce. Where you pay your attention can either yield a deposit or a withdrawal. Those deposits are the relationships, the deposits are the resources, those are the assets that you just talked about. The withdrawal is the loss of, of energy and time that a lot of times you don't get back. So make sure that you guys are doing deep diagnostics of your circle. You know, put pressure on yourself, put pressure on the people around you. Uh, comfortability breeds contempt, and it breeds poor habits, it, it breeds procrastination, it stops progress. So be around the people who say less and do more. Sorry, I had to, I had to get that out. You and your team have a very impressive business portfolio, God. This is the time that I'm sure everyone is stuck around for, and we're going to give people what they want. For the members of the guest panel or audience who, who would love, who would like the information on how to invest and, uh, and what opportunities that you have for them, could you uh, please uh, elaborate on, uh, I know we have three particular platforms. We've got the alkaline bodies, we got the, the Navitas Solar, and then we have the Boss Burger. So could you uh, break down the um, the investment opportunities, please? Yes. As far as investment is concerned, um, you are able to invest as far as if you want to bring Boss Burger to your town, reach out to us, uh, rather at LLC at gmail.com. BossBurgerLLC at gmail.com If you can't write that down right now Just go to BossBurgerLLC Online and click on the link uh, For the email and contact us And um, let us know where you are And we'll start those conversations And we'll reach out because we are looking into the franchise model um, And that could be restaurant Or that could be food truck But we are trying to um, Branch out right now We are in very very serious talks Of Vegas and Atlanta um, so if you're in those areas as well and you're interested in doing the same, then reach out because we're already making those moves. Um, and we'll tell you what those numbers look like. None of this would be like uh, like just jargon conversation. We'll let you know what those numbers look like, um, what marketing you need, and how we'll help you as well. As far as water is concerned, alkaline drip. If you would like to be a distributor, you have a business or a brand, you pop in online and you're looking for a product that can match that or marry that beautifully. Alkaline Drip is your product. Alkaline Bodies is your business. We your people. Contact us at alkalinebodies underscore on Instagram. You can reach out to the link there for the email or our email is A for alkaline, B for bodies, real health. Again, that's A for alkaline. B for bodies, real 
help at gmail.com. You can reach out to us there and um, let us know that you are interested in distributing or investing. I can let you know right now a $10,000 investment at the least into water, whether it's group or an individual, will get you 15,000 bottles. 15,552 to be exact, as my man Jay said. <laughs> You're not in this bar, but one time we talked, but he got me right one time. 15,552 to be exact. We sell these bottles no less than $2 because, like we told y'all, their part costs $1. This is internationally awarded water. That's worth a dollar at least, not including the 8.1 to 8.6 pH naturally. But this water is amazing, guys. So if you sell it for $2, at retail price, you all know simple math, 15 times 2 is 30. That's 30 grand into something that you invested 10 for. So that's 31, 30, 31,104 to be exact. 31,104. Thank you, God. See, that's why I'm around people that know mathematics and know where they are. But that's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. So we try to make sure that we provide opportunities for people that um, they can invest in and be able to make money out themselves as well and sustain themselves without us. If you're interested in white labeling, which means I would like to utilize your product but put my own label, we got that for you too. We feel that we're stronger as a tribe and you make the same money, but if you would like to white label, we have that available for you as well. We will bottle and top that bottle for you with water. You just let us know your label or send us your label, or we have a label manufacturer for you at our label, I mean, excuse me, at our water manufacturing plant. We can get that together for you and send you the pricing for both processes, distributing the water, white labeling your own water, or selling the alkaline tribal drip. And we'll uh, send that to you by email or have a phone conversation. Lastly, solar. Our plan for solar is to run this Regulation A plus fund. What do that mean? A plan for solar is a plan for you. Not just your home, energy, and you being clean and safe in your neighborhoods and your schools staying open, but I mean the way we raise this money is by raising it through crowdfunding. And this is a group crowdfunding system. So I need ingenuity. I need masters of the knowledge that you have. We need a bigger tribe. So if you have ideas, if you have businesses that you need invested, if you have green space in your city that you need to invest in, we are looking for you to team up with us. You can contact us at Alkaline Bodies email as well or Navita Solar email. It's very long. I don't even want to run that through y'all right now. It's Navita Solar LED USA at gmail.com. <laughs> really, really long. But if y'all just reach out to us at Alkaline Bodies, we could be able to send y'all um, our direct email and office number for Navita Solar as well. We have websites uh, for Alkaline Bodies. If you just search us on Google, you'll be able to find it with the solar information as well. Um, and that's how you contact us. If you have your phone out, I'll leave this last one. 443 443-563-1244. 443-563-1244. Twelve four four. That is our business number, and that would get in touch with any of the four owners of any of those three businesses: Boss Burger, 
alkaline bodies, Nazita Soul. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 I should have thought right. Put, put the, uh, the number out again in case somebody asked me. 443? 443-563-1244. If you call that number, you'll get any of the owners specifically, and you can talk any type of business with anybody at that number. Do I have any questions uh, for uh, energy? Uh, you know, uh, I know people got your math. They may hit you directly. But if you uh, have a question that you'd like to ask right now, we got time to re read questions. If not, uh, we'll move along. I don't see any hands raised. I guess it's one of those things. People get the information that hit you up directly. So I'm cool with that. All right. So let's uh, please, uh, first of all, energy, brother. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you taking time to join us. Thank you for blessing the audience. Oh, come on up, Jahi. Peace, God. Peace, God. Peace to the room. Peace to the panel, man. I ain't got a question. I just want to salute to God. Energy personified, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're dropping a lot of gems, dropping a lot of jewels. And, you know, you, you the, the way you structuring things, we we'll definitely have our autonomy, you know what I'm saying? We just tap into what you got going on and we come together, man. I salute that for real, for real. I appreciate you too, God. And yo, for real, we talk about you more than you know, God. For real, like the words that you put into the, the, the community right now, yo, it, 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 that's what we need. You know, that's what we was doing when we was young, coming up with these ideas. We was listening to those guys we all love, the Jadis, the, the Waynes and all that, but we wasn't getting that. You see what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't what we was able to tap into. So I appreciate hearing that from you and brothers like Jay and everybody else I met in the tribe. Even that more to me to see that you was in the tribe, bro, and not just rapping none of that. So thank you, God. The brothers hear you, too. They around me as well, so I appreciate you. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely, man. Like, you know. Hello? You got me? No, absolutely. Not a clear, God. Not a clear. Yeah, we can hear you, God. It was paused on my end. I don't know what the... But yeah, so yeah, man, I definitely, man, salute that. And you know, everything that you putting in, work you putting in, all the work Jay putting in, all the work Kyle putting in, man, you know, I can spit about it. You know what I'm saying? I can rap, I can brag about it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's it's, it's, it's a double-edged double sword. You feel me? Always. Always a tribe with us. And I'm looking forward to build with everybody else in the in the audience, the panel, Kai, Jay, uh, also... I, I didn't, didn't get a chance to get the OTWTU name as well. But, um, and also the mayor, man, like whenever we can get an opportunity, that's what this is about. We all got these beautiful ideas. So I'm loving what I'm hearing here. Can't wait to build with y'all. Oh, you're going to be hearing from me on the regular, but you already know that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, man, Jai, I appreciate you, man. Uh, for those of y'all who just joined us, uh, if you were here at the beginning, that uh, opening, uh, uh, remake of a song cry from Jay Z, the Aboriginal Wall Street. That was the guy Jahi. If you if you haven't listened to his music at this point, maybe I don't know where if you had took a trip to Pluto and just came back or whatever. But the guy is is uh, is is colder than the darkest winter, man. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I see thread. I see you threads. I got my man threads in here. I got to get these two on a collabo, man, because. I don't know nobody doing it like these two cats right here, man. Like y'all, man, for real. 
y'all is killing the game. So that's I want. I like to see some like some some Jada and Styles P back and forth. Ideas, man. If I gotta come up and give y'all ideas, you know, Jahi, I'll be, I'll be sending him Wu Tang stuff all day, all the time. Listen to this guy, listen to this guy. But yeah, man. But yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to. The lose platform it. right here, they Tribal Economics. That's where yeah. we at. Oh, that's what we That's what. Oh, Tribal Economics. We are gonna continue. But on that note, let's pause for a brief intermission. Calling us, came here, they ain't never leave her. Indians ain't die off, cause we here. You ain't got a lot, just say you won't be here. How you American, but not indigenous? 400 years still ain't get rid of us. All Europeans, nationalized citizens, made all the Indians niggas on the census. 1492, we was on the fences. Civil rights movement, we were so defensive. Black Wall Street, whites got so offended. Common law rights gave us amendments. Thank God, don't speak truth, that's alright. First place, 16, 19 was all white. 1200 wasn't no continent, all white. Europe named after a black woman, alright. Grafted it come from us, do your research, go within, quit listening to teachers, and a nuke guy voice coming out the speaker, cut off trees down and made us weaker, really they foreigner, the shit gets deeper, whites don't know where whites come from either, I'm aborigine, we come from the ether, ruling over us and our land, that's evil, being colonized right now, black people, prisoner of the war, that's why it ain't equal, wake up everybody, don't be no sheeple, freedom ain't free, really freedom is illegal.
Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Naisha. Threat. How's it going, man? Peace, God. I'm got you and Jahi on the stage. Oh, I can't. I, I, I've been meaning to do this. I'm, 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 I'm upset that we hadn't tapped in with each other. Um, but when we did the Tupac, uh, the state-run radio show, so you know we'll just have to do another show at a later date. But I, I was, I've been wanting to get you and Jahi on the same stage together for a long time. So, hey, peace to you. How you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm doing good, man. Yeah, Jahi's fire, man. I, I try to share his stuff all the time, man. Like, hey, hey keep it up, man. I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of him myself. Yeah, likewise, likewise, my brother. Like, you know what I'm saying? You came with that with that hit story and you know you killed it. You came in the community and you came real right and you already know we salute on you a hundred, bro. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, as soon as me and you lock on, I know we most definitely gonna put something down epic, man. Yes, sir. Where, where, where you located at? Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, all right. I'm I'm in I'm in the A, so yeah, we definitely got tap up. That we could do. I be I, I go in and out of Atlanta sometimes, so yeah, we'll definitely link up and work something out, man. And um, peace, peace to everybody, man. Peace to everybody. Do I have anybody in the audience? Mac Payne. What's up, Maddie? How you doing, God? Peace to you. Peace, family. Peace, everybody. Go ahead, go go ahead and plug that uh go plug that uh your indigenous uh health uh, uh and wellness company that you and your and your goddess got man but this is this is what this platform is for I want to make sure we get this this group tribal economic thing going man so everybody plug your business absolutely for sure appreciate y'all good build today as usual so yeah so you know I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Matt of More Life Solutions. Um, that sector deals with nationality, uh, economics, um, and was dealing with health. But now we revamped the health with uh, indigenous healthcare system. So still working on that website, but you could do book some health consultations. You know, certified AMA doctor, certified Aboriginal jurist, certified economic specialist, and um, certified indigenous cosmologist. So I have all that going on. Plus, I also deal with uh, facilities management. You know, I'm a electrician by trade. You know, I deal with HVAC systems. Um, you know, basic plumbing, basic carpentry, and all that. So you know, we build it in every way. So once again, that's at morelifesolutions.com. Same thing. So it's more life solutions. Is, is um, M O O R I F E. You know, it's like the more the carbon based more and all. So, um, and indigenous healthcare system, um, dot net. So just be on the lookout for that constantly building. You could hit us up. We're doing like 15 minute free consultations on nationality, on economics. I'm going to, um, start getting that soon with credit, um, building and, and, you know, just continue to build with my people. Beautiful, beautiful. Man, I got other people in the audience that I've been trying to call you up and, and plug your business. Uh, you guys might be multitasking. Maybe you just don't see the invitation, but I see a few people. I know we got Dr. Polan up here, Healing Code. If you haven't tapped in with him, I don't know what's wrong with you, but, you know, we, he did the show a couple of weeks ago, killed it, you know, uh, you know, we, we had that, uh, pills are like death row and he, 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 oh, I got who, who I got right here. Brutal honesty. Come on up, guy. 
Yo, that that imaginary that imaginary friend analogy he did, boy. He caught that. Hey, peace, God. Nah, go ahead, D'Angelo. Peace to the room. I'm not not uh, we haven't met yet, but how you doing? Come on up. D'Angelo, introduce yourself, God. Introduce yourself to everybody. What you got going on? What, what, tell us about your business. Our neighborhoods are controlled and owned by Caucasian peoples and people from other international ethnicities. And when I was a kid, it was owned by our grandmother and our grandfather and our aunts and our uncles and friends of the family, people that our mothers and dads grew up with. And our grandparents were raising their families together, and I missed that. Uh, when I was a kid, we stayed outside all day playing in the yard, playing football, playing basketball, all kind of games, running around, chasing each other. These kids don't do any of that kind of stuff. They don't have community. They don't have family. D'Angelo, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, God, but we got about uh, four more minutes before this broadcast. But uh, I would like, if you could do me a favor for the broadcast, could you uh, plug your business and uh, so, once we once we roll the credits, then you can come back up and we'll uh, have you can. Right now, I just want you to plug the business so we can uh, try and wrap the show. My apologies. So my business. Oh no problem. About, so my business is about. Um, well, I'm going to start out purchasing small apartment complexes around my my city um, and renovating them and partnering with the homeless shelter or the women's and the men's shelter and getting our people out of there because they're suffering. But those people have jobs and they live. And then um, once I expand, it's going to be about resource control because we need places to have uh, food farms and uh, meat dishes that are ran and controlled by us so that we are not continued to be poisoned by the system that's in place. Um, nothing in here to serve the people because we are the people that matter. How do we get in, how we get in contact with you, God? You can contact me on Instagram. Uh, I've got a website coming up soon, nothingin.com. That's nothing, N-U-I, or excuse me, N-U-T-H-I-I-N-K.com. It'll be up in the next two weeks or so. And uh, we're going to start selling company swag. i got to raise $25,000 to get access to this credit line. So we're going to do some big things in our community, and we're going to try to make it black again. Appreciate you, guys. Appreciate you, guys. Sorry uh, to, to cut you off. We got to uh, we got to uh, close the show out. No problem, um, brother. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, absolutely, come back. We're going we're going to wrap we're going to wrap some more again. Thank you for tuning in to the Sovereign Creed Show. If you've enjoyed um, if you enjoy our content and would like to support us, please uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sovereign Creed, and definitely check out our website sovereigncreed.shop to purchase our line of provocative apparel. I want to give a special thanks to our guest, Mr. Terry Backus, Cinemaka Salah Udin, Kai Shiamaru, and Energy Personified. You guys are phenomenal. Shout out to our producer, Cindy Ashby, for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go sign up for www.otw2.com so you can join our community of melanated Aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship. Tune in for the next episode on Wednesday, November 10th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Central. Uh, we're going to have UB News. If you uh, follow his content on social media, he's one of the best uh, documentary uh, film directors on anything, everything Aboriginal history. 
We don't just discuss the problems. We offer the solutions. I'm your host, Jay Ali Shiomaru, and this is On The Wake Up Radio. We at Sovereign Creed are dedicated to the nurturing, preserving, and protecting of the Aboriginal American family. We are aligned with the customs and beliefs practiced by our indigenous American ancestors and will continue to ensure that their legacy lives on with everything that we do. See you next week, family. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashley Production. On the wake up.